الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلاما على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحافظين فروجهم والحافظات والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرات اعد الله لهم مغفره واجرا عظيما سبحان ربك رب العزه اما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد مبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد مبارك وسلم Tonight's talk, as many of you know, is on controlling our gaze and taming our desires. Originally, I had planned sometime during the course of this iftikaf to gather the young men together and have a sort of informal brother session, because I hadn't scheduled it as part of our regular talks. And some brothers asked me, can you make it one of the regularly scheduled talks so that we can make sure that we come and so we can tell our friends to come? So I actually canceled what was supposed to be the topic of tonight and made that topic, lowering our gaze, controlling our gaze, and taming our desire. But because it's a general gathering, because there are some women who are listening here and maybe at their homes, so inshallah I will try to include a few things for the women also, uh, so the women should listen attentively as well. And then later on at night, inshallah, as is our habit sometimes, we will have another session with the brothers to talk about those brothers-only things. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam said in hadith Fa inna al-haya min al-iman This is in the collection of Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim it means that verily know that haya is part of your iman and actually in reality our talk tonight is about haya so haya means modesty it means chastity it means shyness means dignity, it means self-respect, it means honor. And the Prophet Muhammad said, إِنَّ الْحَيَاءَ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ That normally know that really haya is part of your very iman. Actually, this thing called haya is something that is the number one obstacle for the majority of us, be we male or female, young or old. A lack of haya is the biggest obstacle that keeps us from being close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is like a hole in our heart that no matter how many good deeds we do, no matter how much love for Allah we try to pour in our heart, it's like we've opened up a hole in the bottom and all of those things get sucked out when we fail to have haya. Or when we do the things of al-fahsha, or we do those things that are unbecoming to a believer. So tonight's talk, inshallah, is for myself foremost and for all of us to learn something from the Quran and Hadith, how we can change this attitude. How can we fix ourselves in this way, in this blessed month of Ramadan, in the night of the 29th, one of the last, uh, one of the odd nights of the last 10 days of the month of Ramadan? How can we perhaps rid ourselves of this sin, of this bad habit, using advantage of the mercy of this month? So know that Islam is a deen of fitrah. Islam teaches a human being how to live the most beautiful, the most noble way of life. And all the characteristics that the Prophet has enjoyed upon us 
are the most noble ways of human living. So hiya is a basic form of iman. In fact, the ulama hadithin write under this hadith that when Prophet equated haya with iman, it means haya and iman are what we call lazim malzum. They go hand in hand. However less haya you have, that's however that's all the more deficient your iman will be. And however more haya you have, that much perfect your iman will be. So it means that haya and iman are twin sides of the coin. And this is why Imam Bukhari is sahih, as I mentioned to you once before in his famous chapter headings, where he indicates his entire fiqh, his entire understanding of the deen. He coined a chapter, he titled a chapter, Babun al-Haya'u Shu'batun min al-Iman, that haya is really a branch, is a part of faith. So this was the understanding of our muhaddithin, that haya is a branch of iman. Now today in our modern, educated, enlightened, advanced times, sometimes we are taught, consciously or subconsciously, apparently or subliminally, that haya is not such a good thing. That shyness is not such a good thing. So we should know, actually, once a sahaba, once Prophet was passing by a couple of sahaba, and this hadith is also mentioned in both Bukhari and Muslim, and that elder sahaba was telling his younger brother, that you shouldn't have so much haya, you shouldn't be so shy, you should be more bold, you should be more outgoing. So Prophet heard him say that and he stopped and he addressed both of the Sahaba and listened to the words from Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. Prophet Muhammad said, Al Hayau la yati illa bikhair. That if you have haya, la yati illa bikhair, it will not bring anything other than khair, anything other than good in it. So why do you counsel one another to not have so much haya? Haya is nothing but khair. In another hadith, Prophet Muhammad said, Al-Haya'u khairun kulluhu. Al-Haya'u khairun kulluhu. And this can have two meanings. One is that where you uh, take back the zamir to. Al-Haya'u khairun kulluhu. Can mean haya. Haya, everything about haya is khair. And the second meaning can be Al-Haya'u khairun kulluhu. That all of khair is to be found in haya. In other words, haya, modesty, and self-respect, everything about it is good. Or it can mean that all goodness is contained in haya, all goodness is contained in modesty. So the purpose of this life is not to fulfill our own desires, to seek the pleasures of this world, but the purpose of this life is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and haya, modesty, is the way to do so. Unfortunately, these days, because of the spread of technology, because of advertisements, billboards, magazines, the television, cable, VCR, VCD, DVD, the internet. We are blasted. Literally, even anybody who tries to save himself in this world is all the time being blasted with images, blasted with signals, blasted with messages that are meant to eradicate your haya, that have the effect of destroying your haya that have the effect of making you immune, of desensitizing you, right? This is what the media does. It desensitizes you to those things that it transmits and makes you see over and over and over again. So it desensitizes our spiritual heart. It casts a veil over our heart. If you do not cast a veil over your eyes, then no veil will be casted over your heart. My friends, it is just a choice for us to make. Do we wish to veil our eyes in this world 
Or do we wish to veil our hearts in this world and then our eyes will be veiled in the next? So there are very, very few people of Muslims who are saved amongst us. And there are three reasons why I picked this talk today. The first reason is that the majority of youth, quite frankly, complain about this problem. They have a difficulty lowering their gaze. They have difficulty controlling their desire. You'd be amazed how many middle-aged men and old men have the same problem. They just don't bother to come to people like me and tell me. Because know that whatever habit you start in your youth, until you do tawbah from it, that bad habit will last and continue into your middle and old age. So the first reason of picking this topic is the need, the desperate need to do tajdeed, to renew, to revive the shu'bah of iman, to revive this branch of faith, to, to fill our hearts with haya and modesty. The second reason is that unfortunately, as a community, we have failed to acknowledge this problem. As a community, as a collective, we have failed to address this problem, so much so that we've gotten so used to, way, to the ways we interact with non-Muslims, is that we have transplanted that into our Muslim life. More and more you see MSAs on campuses having much more free mingling of genders. More and more you see our Islamic associations on the national level not just allowing mixing of gender, but now in some cases they promote that mixing of gender and they try to claim that this separation of the genders or lowering the gaze, in reality what they're saying is haya, that haya is not part of the deen. Or that it's something cultural that one part of the Asian subcontinent has. Why are you trying to transplant that and impose that on the new Muslims of America? So as a community we are in denial. As individuals we are in denial. And as a community, we're in deep denial, whether it is our national organizations, our masajid, our quote-unquote Islamic community centers, our MSAs, we are not acknowledging this problem. And sometimes our haya is being lost even in our masjids, even in our Islamic centers. So the second purpose of this talk is going to be to clear up a couple of things. To make the Muslims of America understand that your organizational strength will not be sacrificed in any way if you are steadfast upon the Sharia and Sunnah. Your organizational strength or the input of women into your organizations will not be sacrificed in any way if you do so, if you incorporate the woman in a manner that is inconsistent with the Sharia. And the third reason for this talk, and this is why I started with this ayah, is that for those of us, alhamdulillah, who are in the masjid tonight, it means we are trying to become close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It means we are amongst the talaba, amongst the seekers of Allah. It means we are amongst the salikin, those who are treading this path, the sirat al-mustaqim. So for those of us on this path who are trying to be people of dhikr, people of taqwa, people of salah, people of Qur'an, this is the number one obstacle that the majority of us face in becoming close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that on our outward we claim that we are seeking Him, but inside we are, our whole world is different. We think that we are attaching our hearts to Allah, but our hearts are attached to false loves. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself in this ayah that I first recited, he has joined these things to, together in the Quran. And it's very interesting if you look in the Arabic language, the male plural normally automatically includes the feminine. So in many places Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't mention both of them. For example, the ayah I recite to you often, Wallahu waliyul mu'mineen. There Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say, Wallahu waliyul mu'mineen wal mu'minat. Because the mu'minat were included, it's understood. But here to make the point clear, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for further ta'qeed, for further emphasis, sometimes He separates them out and mentions them distinctly. <coughs> and that is what Allah ta'ala told us to do in this ayah. 
and those believing men who guide their private parts and those believing women who guide their private parts. And then what's the next thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned? وَذَّاكَرِينَ And those who remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala frequently, ذِكَرِ كَثِيرٌ And those female believers who remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abundantly. It means that there's some relationship between these two things. If you wish to be a person of dhikr, how will you become a person of dhikr if you're unable to even guard yourself? If you're unable to guard your chastity and your modesty? And if you're able to guard in yourself in your chastity and modesty, it will be very easy for you to become a person of dhikr kathir. What is the definition of haya in our sharia? So one of the muhaddisin has written the following definition of haya. Huwa khulkun, it is a characteristic. Tab'athu ala ijtinaab al-kabih. It prompts you, it motivates you to stay away from those things that are kabih, those things that are ugly, despicable, repugnant in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa yamna'u min al-taksiri fi haqqi dhil haqqi. وَلَهَذَا جَاءَ فِي حَدِيثٍ آخَرٍ الْحَيَاءُ خَيْرٌ كُلُّهُ That and this characteristic of haya prevents you, keeps you distant from violating or having any deficiency in the rights of the person who has rights over you. Or haqqi zil can also mean the rights that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has over you. And therefore then he wrote under the hadith in Bukhari that Prophet was in a different hadith الْحَيَاءُ خَيْرٌ كُلُّهُ That haya, each and everything about it is good. So some people mention, Imam Ghazari mentioned that, well, this thing, haya, modesty, that's something that people just have innately. There are some people who are born that they're very modest, and the other people who are born, they don't have this quality. So from this point, Imam Ghazali then discussed the whole nature of khuluq, the whole nature of our ikhlaq, that we should know that the sharia has come to elevate us up to this level. And Allah gives everybody some noble characteristics for free. Somebody is born with a patient temperament. Somebody is born with a modest temperament. Somebody is born with a hard-working effort. And in contrast, there are some people who are born by nature, they get angry. By nature, they have a lot of lust and desire. By nature, they are very lazy. By nature, they have a lot of greed. So all of these characteristics, there's a mixed bag. Some of them Allah might have given you innately, inherently. You don't have to work on them. There's some people who don't eat that much. It's just because they don't eat that much out of habit. It's not because they're trying to struggle against themselves and they're forcing themselves not to eat. So Imam Ghazali Himala wrote that the whole purpose of life, the whole meaning of the word mujahida is to refine your tab'iyat, to refine your temperament and elevate it to the sharia, to the level of the sacred law. So if you are a person who Allah Ta'ala has from His divine gift, His beneficence, His fazl, His rahmah, His karam, has given you modesty, then you should give gratitude for that. But if, like the majority of us, you're a person who Allah may not have granted you this quality for free, it means you have to make mujahida, you have to struggle against yourself, you have to shape your personality, you have to polish your personality, and elevate it up to the level of the sharia. Now, the first thing we're going to do is recite the eyes of the Qur'an that pertain to haya, so that you understand that, look what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in this Qur'an al-Kareem. And part of the problem is that we don't even we lack so much knowledge of the Quran, we lack the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how can we motivate ourselves to act when we don't even know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to say about these topics? So the first ayah I already mentioned is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the believing men and women who guard their private parts and they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala frequently, 
has prepared for them his maghfirah, he will forgive them for all of the other sins that they do. The Mufassirin here write that Allah means that this haya is such a great thing that if you save yourself from this one sin, if you're able to lower your gaze, you're able to guard your chastity, then Allah has prepared for you maghfirah, He will forgive you for any other sins that you do. وَأَجْزًا adima, And Allah will grant you a great reward both in this world and in the akhirah. In another ayah, Allah said, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ And this is a whole surah of mu'minun where Allah mentions different, uh, different sifat, different attributes of the believers. In the end, in the, in the course of that ayah, what does Allah mention? وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِذُونَ And those people who are guarding of their modesty, of their chastity. It means that if you want to be considered amongst the believers, you have to be someone who guards your chastity and your modesty. In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, أَتَّيِّبَاتُ لِلتَّيِّبِينَ وَالتَّيِّبُونَ لِلتَّيِّبَاتُ Know that if you become pure, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would decree pure things for you, pure relationships for you, pure spouses for you. So it means here literally the pure men are for the pure women are for the pure men and the pure men are for the pure women. So it means any one of us who are young and wishes to get married and we wish to have a pious and a noble wife, a wife who will be a source of peace and tranquility for us. Well, if we want a tayyib wife, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in the Quran that it is better that you become tayyib first. If you wish that you get a pious wife, Allah says a tayyibat, who are they for? The pious, noble women who guard their honor and chastity, they will be given to the pious and noble men who guard their chastity. The next ayah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, strange ayah, listen to this carefully. إِنَّمَا حَلَّمَ رَبِّ الْفَوَاحِشَ مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بَتَنَا That verily know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbi Kareem, has forbidden the fawahisha, has forbidden these these disgraceful, these vulgar acts that we do. مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا That which is apparent, وَمَا بَتَنَا And that which you do in the privacy, the secrecy of your room, in the depth of the night when you lock the door and draw the curtains, each and everything Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. So even apparently losing your hiya, and secretly and hiding from everybody losing your hiya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made these things haram. In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, listen to this ayah again, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الزِّنَا إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً وَسَاءَ سَبِيلًا That you should not even come near zina. And this is what our deen is all about. This is the philosophy of our sharia, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has designed the sharia in a way that it nips the evil in the bud. It doesn't want you to come even near zina. So don't fool yourself that I don't do anything. All I do is look. No. وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding you that don't come anywhere near zina. Verily, it is a fahisha, it is a vulgarity. And it is a terrible, it is a bad path. So the first step here then, the first thing we're going to mention tonight, is lowering the gaze. But lowering the gaze in Islam is not some high level for the awliya, the muttaqeen. Lowering the gaze is not something that's simply optional. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded us to lower the gaze in many different places, in many different ways, in the Quran and the Hadith. And actually, again, nip the evil in the bud means you have to fight the battle in the beginning. 
And this is where the majority of the young men and women, and this hukum is for the women also, as you're going to see, that the women also must lower their gaze. Why? Because it's much easier to defeat the sin when it's just about to start. And it's much harder to persist and start down that path of sin, walk all the way to the edge of the cliff, stand at the edge of the cliff and look down, and somehow try to save yourself. This is Allah Ta'ala's rahmah, His mercy to make it easy for us. He wanted us to draw the battle lines early. He wanted us to save ourselves from sin early on. He didn't want us to push ourselves to the brink like all of us do. And all of you know what happens when we push ourselves to the brink. We fall deep down the cliff. We fall deep into an abyss. And we're unable to take ourselves out. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala command in the Qur'an al-Kareem. Qul, O my beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And some of the Mufassirin write that when Allah subhanahu wa says this, sometimes Allah commands you directly, sometimes Allah subhanahu wa tells the beloved messenger to say something cool. So Allah subhanahu wa is also doing this for further emphasis. That, oh my beloved messenger, tell those people. Qulil mu'mineen, tell the believers, يَغُضُّ min absarihim That they should lower their gazes. وَيَحْفُزُوا furujahum, And they should guard their chastity. ذَلَكَ azkalahum. That is more azka, that is the most purest thing for them. Allah Ta'ala is knowing about each and everything that you do. Now watch while I open up this ayah for you. The first thing, there are three things the Mufassirin writer in this ayah. The first is ta'deeb. Allah Ta'ala is teaching us the proper adab, He's commanding us that we should lower our gazes, that the way of a pious believer, the adab of a believer, is that he walks around with his gazes lowered, he doesn't look at those things he's not supposed to look at. But then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also did tanbih, that why should you do this? Because it is azka, because it is pure for you, it is pure for your hearts. So those of us who fancy ourselves as the people of Tazkiyah, those of us who fancy that we're purifying ourselves, well why don't we follow this eye where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what azka for us, what is most pure for us is that we should lower our gaze. And the final thing is Allah Ta'ala does tahdeed. In other words, He teaches us that number one, the ibtida is lowering your gaze. If you don't do that, then Allah Ta'ala commanded you also, furujahum, that no, if you fail to lower your gaze, you must guard your chastity. And the way Allah Ta'ala ended the ayah, He didn't end the ayah like many times He ends, in Allah Rahim, in Allah Rahim. No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say anything like that here. He said, So it means if you fail to lower your gaze, you will inevitably sooner or later fail to guard your chastity. If you fail to guard your chastity, don't think, No, rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows each and everything that you do. Allah ta'ala is khabir, He is all-knowing about what you're doing. He knows every gaze that you miscast. He knows every time you fail to guard your chastity. You cannot fool anybody. You cannot fool Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is not one of those ayahs that ends like that. That you can do whatever you want and in Allah ghafoorur rahim. No. If you fail to follow these rules, Allah ta'ala lays it out very clear for you. He knows what you do and you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can take you to account whenever you break His rules. Then, Allah ta'ala continues in the ayah. Again, specifically singling out the women. وَكُلِّ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ Then tell the believing women. يَغْضُنَّ مِنْ أَبْسَارِهِنَّ وَيَحْفُزْنَ فُرُوجَهُنَّ That tell them that they must also lower their gaze. 
They must also lower their gaze and they must also guard their chastity and guard their modesty. In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when he first explains in the beginning of the ayah who is permissible for you to marry and who it is permissible for you to go unto, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that those people who transgress these limits of marrying those who are lawful for them, that they are the people who have declared enmity, they are the people who have transgressed, they are the people who have deviated and have strayed from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now listen to the hadith. The Prophet Muhammad said in hadith, this is a hadith from Sahih Muslim. Al-Aynani zinahum al-Nazar. Al-Aynani zinahum al-Nazar. That for the two eyes, the zina of those two eyes is Nazar is, dif- is directing the gaze. So if you look, join this hadith and join the Quranic ayat on zina, it means just like there is the zina bil fail, there is a zina of your eyes. So Prophet said in Sahih Muslim, in Sahih hadith, that the zina of the eyes is nazar is the gaze. Now how many of us can say that we're not zani? How many of us can dare say in this masjid on this holy sacred night that we are not zani? It means the Prophet said that 1420 years ago. How would we feel if Prophet said that to us on the day of judgment? What if we show up trying to join the ranks of the Prophet Muhammad and he simply looks at us and says, Al-Aynani Zina Humad Zina, that know that the two eyes, their Zina was simply to gaze. So isn't it better that we listen to this hadith now, that we reform ourselves now, that we bring ourselves into line with this hadith now, and save ourselves from Zina this day, so that we do not be raised up amongst the ranks of people who make Zina with their eyes on the Day of Judgment. Then another hadith, Prophet said, that no, the zina of the tongue is kalam, is speech. Now you tell me. Sahih Prophet said that the zina of the tongue is kalam, is speech. This is Sahih Now do you want to make excuses that, oh, why can't I talk to her on the phone? Or why can't I talk to him on the phone? Girls mention that the, even this happens with our MSAs. We've had girls come to us and complain that the vice president of the MSA or the president of the MSA, he talks to me because he wants me to do stuff for the sisters, and that takes one minute, and then we just keep talking and talking, and the phone conversation takes 20 minutes. So what did Prophet say? What is the zanab, the tongue? Al-kalam. Simply speech. With the improper niya, with the person you're not supposed to talk to, talking more than you need to to that person, Prophet said that equals zina. So the zina of the tongue is kalam. Shaykh Asrafa said a very important thing. He said that a person's heart will never get its full of looking at things it's not supposed to. We call this su nazar in Arabic. It's very hard to put this in Arabic. Su in English. Su nazar in Arabic, they call it bad nazari in Urdu. In English, you could call it the misdirected gaze, the unlawful gaze. Shaykh Asrafa writes that once a person makes an unlawful gaze, he can do it 1,000 times and his heart will never get the fill of it. He can do it 10,000 times and his heart will never get the fill of it. It is an unquenchable thirst, an unquenchable desire that he lights up inside of himself. In fact, he said, and then he ended, he can spend 
his whole life drowning in the ocean of Su'un Nazar, of the unlawful gaze, and even though he's drowning and submerged in the ocean, still his thirst won't be quenched. This is the nature of this thing, and this is why Allah Fatala commanded us to lower our gaze. And Shaykh Ashraf said, and this thing will last him throughout his middle age, throughout his old age, throughout the moment he passes away. Then Shaykh Ashraf says, that what, what are some of the bad effects? What are some of the bad effects of not controlling your gaze? These are the bad effects of the ulama, mashayikh, shayukh have written about simply not being able to lower your gaze, about the zina of the eyes. So number one, he writes that just like a person who is sick who has fever, when a person who has sick, he has fever, he's lazy. He doesn't feel like doing anything. Even the most things that he loves, he doesn't like doing it. Even the most food, his favorite food, he doesn't feel like eating it. He becomes totally incapacitated, totally paralyzed, totally disinterested in life around him. Just like that, Sheikh Ashraf said that that person who dasu another, who commits the unlawful gaze, at that moment and for some time afterwards, he becomes disinterested in everything around him. He becomes paralyzed temporarily. The next effect, that he loses the halawat of iman. In fact, in the Hadith Prophet some said that that person, and this is one of the rewards of lowering the gaze, then that person who lowers his gaze, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him the halawat. It means the sweet pleasure, the sweet taste of his iman. So if the converse is then true, then that person who fails to control his gaze, he loses the halawat of his iman. The second, third, is that he loses the tawfiq to do amal. He loses the success and the ability to make good deeds. The next thing is that his memory power gets weak. He loses his memory power, his quwwati hafidha, his ability to memorize. And there's a famous poem of Imam Shafi rahimahullah, that he had his problem, he couldn't memorize as well as he wanted to. I'm sure if he compared himself to us, even at that state, he probably had a much better memory power than us. But he felt that he was unable to memorize as well as he wanted, so he went to his ustad, he went to his shaykh, his teacher, waqiyah. And he said, and they put it in verse later, شَكَوْتُ إِلَىٰ وَكِئِنْ سُوءَ حِفْدِي فَأَوْسَانِي إِلَىٰ تَرْكِنْ مَآسِي فَإِنَّ الْإِلْمَ نُورًا مِنْ إِلَاهِ وَنُورُ اللَّهِ لَا يُعْدَى لِآسِي That shakautu, that I complain to my Ustad Waki about the weakness of my memorization. And he responded to me that no, إِنَّ الْإِلْمَ نُورًا That no, that verily ilm, sacred knowledge is a light from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that no, he counseled me. Fa'ausani ma'asi. He told me to leave the sins. He counseled me to leave sin because verily that knowledge is a light from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the light of Allah is not given li'asi, is not given to that person who commits sin. So Imam Shafi put this in verse. Number five. That a person can get disgraced in this world if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to expose or reveal how much he misdirects his gaze. Number six, Allah SWT takes away the barakah from his life, takes away the barakah from his time, takes away the barakah from his wealth, takes away the barakah from his ibadat, can even take away the barakah from his Ramadan, can take away the barakah from his itikaf. If for the second he leaves this masjid on Eid day, and Eid salah itself, and this is what I mean by the collective is this, Ummah, we do not care about these things. You go to the places for Eid I'm not saying women shouldn't come to Eid salah. I'm saying that arrangements should be made properly. If as a community you cannot 
arrange for your women to come properly to eat Salah, then yes, I will tell you that it is a legal ruling women should not come to eat Salah. It's not the women's fault, and the women shouldn't get upset at me. If the women want to come to eat Salah, they should get upset at the organizers of their communities that they don't organize the Salah properly. How many of these young men who spent 10 days here in Itikaf could lose all of that newer just by looking at all these faces in Eid Salah? And how dare those women show up in Eid Salah wearing makeup on their faces? How dare those women come out wearing flashy clothing on that day? And you will see when I mention the ayat of Quran about the women that there is no room for disputation with these ayat that I will mention later on about how a woman must guard her zina, she must guard her adornment. It is a hukam, it is a command for all women at all times. We do not try to exclude them from taking part in society. We don't try to exclude them from taking part in our community. We ask them to do so with haya. We ask them to be full members of our community, but adorn themselves with the noble libas, the beautiful clothing of the sharia, to come to their Eid Salah in a state of haya, so they earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and so that none of, these, none of the men who come to that Salah are distracted. Number seven, the Mashaikh write that by committing a bad gaze, you give hope to shaitan. That we give hope to shaitan. Why? Because shaitan, when he sees a man misdirecting his gaze, he has hope that yes, this person now, he's disobeying Allah, he's taken that first step, sooner or later I will trap him into that final step. Sooner or later I will lead him down the road. Sooner or later I will make him do something terrible to himself. So we give hope to shaitan. What type of people must be? I mean, you think that shaitan is the most despicable creature, the most despicable creation in the history of the entire universe. What type of creatures must they be that he gets hope from them? Spite only likes spite. Depravity only likes depravity. How depraved must we become that we give hope to shaitan? The ulama, the shiuk, write that shaitan gets a great hope, a great joy in his heart when he sees the believing man and women misdirecting their gaze. Number eight, they write that the Mashiach say that we will sooner or later fall into a false love. The love for Allah will become drained from our heart and the love for whatever it is that we're looking at is going to dominate our heart and our mind. Number nine, the Prophet said in Hadith, Ana ghuyurun, wallahu aghyuru minni, wal min ghayratihi harram al-fawahisha ma dhahara min hawa ma batana, that no, I am, Prophet said about himself, I am Ghuyur. Again, it's very hard to translate this in, uh, in English. It means that I have Ghayrat. It means that Prophet had a certain level of, a certain level of honor or dignity, a certain level of self-respect a certain level of feeling that I'm the messenger of Allah, people should be following me, people should believe in me. How could people fail to follow the messenger of the times? So he, Prophet said that he had ghayrat, that he had ghuyur, but then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has even more ghayrat. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa demands, it means la sharikala. It means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it actually means tawheed. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ghuyur, it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot stand that you associate anybody with him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot stand that you disobey him for the sake of somebody else. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot stand that you fail to look down when he told you for the sake of looking up at something that you're not supposed to look at. This is what it means when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for you. So it means that when we don't 
obey the commandments of Allah, we can earn the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then now listen to this hadith, number 10. The number 10 ill consequence of misdirecting your gaze, Prophet Sam said in the hadith, لَأَنَ اللَّهُ النَّاظِرَ وَالْمَنْظُورَ إِلَيْهِ لَأَنَ اللَّهُ The curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala curses an-nadira, the person who misdirects his gaze. Not az-zani, an-nadir. The person who misdirects his gaze. And listen carefully, O women. وَالْمَنْظُورَ إِلَيْهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala curses the woman who is being looked at. It's from hadith. I don't say it on my own. I don't say it because I like it. I don't say because I'm trying to invoke the criticism on the men and my brothers and sisters, but I want the women to know that if they come all decked out to eat salah or to parties, or they walk the street, or they walk in that MSA room, and they're wearing makeup, they're wearing attractive clothing, and a man looks at them, that man will certainly have his sin, for why did he look? But Allah SWT says in the Apostle in the Hadith, that Allah will not just curse that man, but He will curse the mandura ilay, that woman that is being looked at. So why then, if, why should a woman then trust or depend on her brothers to lower their gaze? Rather she should think that if they fail to lower their gaze, I'll also be punished. I'll also be, have the curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over me. And these are words of the beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The eleventh, and many young men here should listen to this carefully. The eleventh negative consequence that may happen from not able to control our gaze, Ibn al-Jawzi rahimullah has mentioned in his book to Dalbis Iblis that a person who was Hafiz, he might forget the Qur'an. And he narrates the story that there was a young Hafiz and he was looking at a woman that he shouldn't look at. And he was looking at a woman passing by with lust and one of his elders came to him and caught him and said, Oh young man, what are you doing? And he said, Oh, I was but looking at her. And he said, young man, repent of your sin. Otherwise, know that Allah subhanahu wa might choose to punish you in this world. Well, sure enough, then that young man later said, when I grew older in life, Allah subhanahu wa took the memory of the Qur'an out of my heart. So another punishment we might get is wholly, partially, permanently, or temporarily, if we're unable to control our gaze, Allah subhanahu wa might remove the memory of the Qur'an from our hearts. Think Allah SWT said in the Quran, يَأْلَمُ خَائِنَةَ الْأَعْيُنَ وَمَا تُخْفِ السُّدُورِ That Allah SWT knows the khiyana, the transgressions of your eyes. Even one blink of your eye when you break His law, Allah SWT knows it. وَمَا تُخْفِ السُّدُورِ And Allah SWT knows what your breasts and your hearts conceal. Now the Mufasreen then analyzed this ayah. They said in this ayah, Allah SWT didn't say anything. He didn't appoint any type of punishment. The punishment here is unspecified. Why is that? So they write because there are two types of people. The first type of people are those type of people who have no ihsas, who couldn't be bothered, who couldn't care less, who if you warn them it will have no effect on them. So for those type of people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them a severe punishment. He's telling them that I know each and everything that you do, know that I will punish you terribly on that day of judgment. And there's a second type of people who have feeling, who have ihsas. Think about this, and then place yourself in which category you're in. That they have feeling, they have ihsas, all they need is to be told that Allah Taala knows what we're doing, all they have to do is hear this ayah, that Allah Taala knows the transgression of your eyes, what your hearts conceal. All they need to hear is that Allah knows what I'm doing, and they'll stop what they're doing immediately, because they'll still be embarrassed before their Lord. 
to be so embarrassed before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that for the second class of people, Allah just mentioned this ayah, thinking that the second they find out that I know what they're doing, they're going to stop. So now think, which category do we fall into? Are we of that second category? That the second we found out that Allah knew what we do, we immediately stop what we're doing? Or are we in that first category, desensitized, uncaring, couldn't be bothered that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what we're doing and He knows what our hearts, what our breasts conceal. In another, in a hadith, the twelfth negative consequence, in a hadith, Prophet said that that person who is unable to control his gaze, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes away the nur, takes away a light, it takes a radiance from his face. Okay, and back in line, I'm sorry. Shaykh Asraf Ali Tanrayimullah explained this. The why did Allah mention that afterwards in the ayah, وَمَاتُكْ فِي sudur. He said, Ajib, Shaykh Asraf Ali Tanrayimullah, He said that when a person sees something, first thing is mentioned is the khiyana of the eye, that he misdirects his gaze. Then what happens is that a person takes a picture, takes a photographic image and imprints it on his heart. So he only looked at that screen once for a few minutes, but now he put that picture in his heart when he's alone. In the room, nobody's around, he can't see her anymore, or she can't see him anymore, but he or she remembers that picture in his heart, recalls that memory, opens up that file once again, that is the sin of his heart, and elsewhere else, what Allah mentions that the heart sins, he says, that their hearts are sinning. So when his heart sins later, that is what is mentioned by Wamatuk fi Sudur and Shaykh Ashraf Tanrayimullah writes that that is even worse a sin than when he misgazed. Even worse than the gaze that he cast initially was the memory that he allowed to be imprinted on his heart, and even more sin does he get when he sits there and he recollects and he thinks about that haram feature or that haram face. And I've mentioned to you before. The thirteenth negative consequence is that that person who is unable to control his gaze will be deprived of the vision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Jannah. As you know in Hadith it comes that one of the rewards of Jannah is that a person will be able to gaze upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There will be some people who get to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once. There will be some people who see Allah a hundred times. There will be some people who are so pious, so exalted, that they can see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whenever they want. And it comes in a hadith that whenever a person lowers his gaze, in exchange for that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him one vision of him. So think now what it is that we're sacrificing. What could you have gained if you lowered your gaze? If you lowered your gaze for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, each and every time you lowered your gaze, you would have been bestowed with an additional vision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. And the second thing that comes in Hadith is that there are three types of people, three types of eyes that will not cry on the Day of Judgment. Three types of eyes that will not cry on the Day of Judgment. The first eye is that eye that lowers his or her gaze from that which is haram. If you lower your gaze, your eye will not cry on the Day of Judgment. On that day when people will be crying tears of sweat, on that day when people will be crying tears of blood, if you lower your gaze in this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward you in the day of judgment that your eyes will be eyes that don't cry. The second type of person whose eyes won't cry in the day of judgment is that person who stays awake in the night for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that third type of person whose eyes will not cry in the day of judgment, my sisters and brothers, 
is that person whose eyes cry in this world out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So much so, the words of the hadith come that even if but a tear appears just on his eyelid, it doesn't even flow. There's a whole hadith just about this. The Prophet will ask, Allah will ask those people to rise who cried out of his fear, out of Tawbah in the world. And then one person will rise up and Allah will ask the angels that this person cry. And the angels will check the book of deeds of that person and they will say, Allah although he never weeped for your sake, although he never weeped out of fear or Tawbah, once, he felt some remorse or getting in his heart that a tear just appeared. One teardrop appeared on his eye. Even though it didn't flow out, his eye slightly watered enough that one teardrop was able to form and cling to his lower eyelid. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, for in the, in the name of that one drop that he even allowed to gather from my fear, I forgive him for all of my sins and let him enter the jannah. Ya alhamdulillah just the forming of one teardrop is enough to erase all of our sins. Ya alhamdulillah. So the third type of person mentioned in the hadith who will not cry in the day of judgment is that person who allowed tears to flow out of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or out of repentance and remorse for his sins. Another consequence is that when this beautiful face captures our heart and mind, when we take this photograph with our eye and we imprint it on our heart, that means in our heart is no longer able to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our hearts become devoid of His remembrance. Listen to Quran Azim Shan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, And do not follow that person whose heart we have made devoid of our remembrance. Now who is that person? The eye continues. And he follows his hawa, he follows his base in carnal desires. So it means from this ayah that what is that thing that has made our hearts empty of the remembrance of Allah? What is that thing that has made our salah empty of the remembrance of Allah? The ittiba the following of our base and our lustful desires. So the other consequence then of giving in to your desires from your heart, letting your eyes have free roam around anything around you, means that you will feel the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala empty from your heart. And Allah commands all of the people for all of humanity, do not follow such a person. Be he your imam, be he your president, be he your teacher, be he your older brother, do not follow such a person. The next major consequence is that when this false face, this false love takes over our heart and our mind, then we become disinterested in everything around us in life. The student no longer takes any interest in his studies. He just wants to get out of class and race home and go back to the computer. The man takes no interest in his work. A person takes no interest in his surroundings, so much so that such a depraved man, he even stopped taking interest in his own beautiful, pious wife. He becomes totally disinterested in the world around him. He becomes fanafil hawa. He becomes lost, intoxicated, absorbed in that false love, that false desire. The next consequence is that he loses furqan, he loses tamyiz between haq and batil. He loses the ability to distinguish between what is right and wrong. 
He no longer knows what is good for him, what is bad for him. Therefore, he leaves the salah and rather does this sin. He forgets totally what is good for him or bad for him. He'd rather sleep in this impure state and miss his fajr salah. Because he no longer knows what is good for him or bad for him. So now my friends, what is the cure? What is the cure? How can we lower our gaze? How can we control this gaze? How can we tame this gaze? How can we tame our desires? In this world of co-education, in this world where women are everywhere, where men are everywhere, where each and every moment of our day is practically an opportunity as a test, So the very first thing, interestingly enough, the ulama go right back to the beginning and they quote the same ayah, that all tell the believers that they should lower their gaze. What does this mean? That you must practically do it. You must make it a habit to lower your gaze before you get tempted. What do I mean? That make it a point, literally, physically, you have to lower your gaze. When you walk in the streets, look at your feet when you walk. Don't wait for something to to see something and then try to lower it. This is a misunderstanding of lowering the gaze. We think lowering the gaze means that after we see something we're not supposed to see, then we're supposed to have some type of strength to be able to lower it. No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is why we call it preventive. It's nip the evil in the bud. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meant for us to lower our gaze before our gaze fell in anything. It means to keep our gaze lowered at all times. It means that every single time we walk around, we should have our gaze lowered. If you have to talk to somebody, you have a female colleague, you work somewhere, or you're your sister, you have a male colleague, keep your gaze lowered. There's no need to look them in the eye when you talk to them. Believe me, they won't get offended. I've tried it so many times. You can talk to people, you don't look them in the eye, they don't mind. They really don't mind. And if they mind, so what? Isn't it better that you offend somebody slightly now Rather than you offend Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Would you rather offend Allah, Al-Azim, Al-Jalal, Intikam, at the sake of just satisfying a person or making your female colleague happy? Or saying, I'm a doctor in the hospital, I have to look the nurses in the eye, otherwise they'll think I'm strange? The price you pay for that, the price you pay for that has been mentioned. You will lose a vision of Allah, you may taste the fire of hell. And there are people living in society in this world who do lower their gaze. So simply lower your gaze at each and every moment. If you see by mistake or if you happen to see something, then make it stick far immediately and then lower your gaze immediately. The ulama write that the way you should interact with somebody if you have to is just like how two people who are angry with one another. Imagine two die-hard enemies, but for some reason they have to talk to one another about something. Maybe they have to sort something out. Imagine how they talk to one another. Very reserved. They don't look each other in the eye. Just the bare minimum conversation and they're done. That's the way you should talk if you aren't able to control your desires and able to control your gaze. That's how you should talk with the members of the opposite gender if the need arises. Number two, that the number two cure for controlling your gaze is simply to marry those people, uh, those of the women who are pleasing to you. And for women also, that they should try to marry those men who are pleasing to them. In fact, the Mashaikh write that that person who is sincere and who truly lowers his gaze and makes dua, Allah Ta'ala will make it easier for him to get married soon. But that person who insists that until I get married, I should be able to look at whatever I want, feel whatever I want, think about whatever I want, 
do to myself whatever I want, then Allah Ta'ala may not necessarily make it easy for that person to get married soon. So if we understand that getting married is a big cure for our sins, and we want to get married sooner rather than later, well then we should adopt that piety, we should follow the Sharia right now so that Allah Ta'ala puts barakah and lets us get it married early. But the tragedy is that there are those among us who may even be married but we're unable to control our gaze. And this is because we have not fully understood the barakah and the benefit of marriage. And this is the same for women and this is the same for the men. Well, the first thing is if a person is married, you should look at your wife or you should look at your husband, you should look at your spouse with love. You should look at your spouse over and over with love because the Mashaik write that whenever you are trying to save yourself from some haram, if you use that organ of your body to do halal, then Allah Ta'ala through the barakah of that halal act will save you from the haram. So if you want to save yourself from the haram gaze, you should focus on the halal gaze and you should look at your wife or your husband with love, with longing, with kindness, with affection. So many men, they become immune to their wives. They come home and they're gruff to their wives. They think this is part of their machismo. This is part of their manhood. When they go into the radio shack, and some women in the counter talks to them nicely. They talk so sweetly to that Radio Shack girl. But when they come home to their home, they talk very sternly and very gruffly with their wife. No. Ajeeb, this is the exact opposite. You should talk very softly, very gently, very kindly with their wife. That same fellow who goes and hangs out with his friends and he's joking around with them, laughing with them. When he comes home, he puts his serious, stern face on. And this is true especially for our older brothers. Especially the older brothers from the Indo-Pak subcontinent, right? Many of the aunties, yes, aunties also tell us their complaints, right? That this is the state of their husband. <laughs> he makes a face when he comes home, all stern, trying to impose his ra'ab on his family. The same guy who was so doctor, we're talking so sweetly to the nurses in the, in the ward comes home and insists on talking so sternly to his wife? No. This is a very, very grave mistake. It goes against Qur'an. This mistake goes against Qur'an because Allah SWT said in Qur'an, لِتَسْكُنُوا لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا Allah SWT commanded you, you should marry so that you get sukun from your wife. So if you do not have that knee of getting sukun, if you do not try to get serenity, peace and tranquility from her, you are going against the maqsa, the purpose of marriage. You are defying the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are defying the hikmah, the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you must go and practically try to get this source of peace and contentment from your wife by giving her more and more love and affection. By telling her she looks pretty. By telling her you find her attractive rather than letting yourself become attracted to the strange woman around you. The third way that you can help yourself to control your gaze. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Qur'an al-Kareem, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْ إِذَا مَسَّهُمْ تَائِفٌ مِّنَ الشَّيْطَانِ تَذَكَّرُوا Those are those people when they want to become people of taqwa. And when a group of shaitan, when some type of temptation touches them, what do they do? تَذَكَّرُوا They remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It means that whenever you feel this desire, this lust coming into your heart, immediately you should turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you should remember Him. In fact, if you're in a state of remembrance at all time, 
then it will be difficult for you or more difficult for that desire to overcome you. So our mashayikh who tell you to do zikr al kasir who teach you to do wukuf al-qalbi, they do not come up with these things off the top of their head. These things are based on Qur'an. They looked at the fazail of zikr. They looked at the benefit, the weapon that zikr would be if you were in a state of remembrance at all times. So that's why they counseled us that you must engage your heart in the remembrance of Allah 24 hours a day. Out of the many benefits of that, one benefit here is it will save you from ta'ifum min shaitan, from a whole group, a whole congregation of shaitan, when it tries to touch you, when it tries to penetrate you, when it tries to corrupt you, when it tries to entice you and invite you to sin. And the fourth thing that our mashaykh mentioned, and these are seven from Quran, then we'll move to hadith, then we'll move to our own experiences. So the fourth ayah is, Alam ya'lam bi anna yara. That do you not know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking at you? And really you just have to type up these eyes and put them on your monitor. You need to put up these eyes all over your house. You need to be looking at these eyes at all times. Just put this eye up everywhere you go. Alam ya'lam bi anna yara. That do you not know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking at you, is seeing you, knows each and everything that you're doing? If you reflect at that moment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking at me, then how would you be able to misdirect your gaze? The fifth ayah. That know that those who strive for us, we open up our paths to them. And again, like I said, mujahida means that going against your nafs and making it in accordance with the sharia, so those people who make mujahidah just think that, Oh Allah, if I control my nafs, لَنَحْتِيَنَّهُمْ subalana, You'll open up the subal, you'll open up the multiple paths to hidayah for me. So Allah, for the sake of attaining your hidayah, I will control my nafs. Then number six ayah, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُكُمْ أَن تَبُنْدُ الْأَمَانَةِ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهَا that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands you that you should return the amanat, the trust that you have to their ahl, to the people who have bestowed them upon you. So you should look at these eyes as an amanat. That these eyes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me our trust. And one day surely this trust will be returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. It is up for me that I return this trust in an honorific way, that I use this trust in his ibadah, that I return this trust wholesome and pure before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And another ayah, and, and underneath this, some Mashaikh say that you should think about this ayah. That on that day, although this ayah may technically be about other people, but it could be about anybody. That on that day, there will be some people in the Day of Judgment, some people who come out, call out, Rabbi lima hashartani a'ma wa kad kuntu basira. That, oh Allah, why have you raised me amongst those who are blind? Wa kad kuntu basira, but I was a person of sight. So what if Allah chooses to punish us for all the times that we misdirected our gaze and raise us amongst the people who are blind? Then think if you are raised up blind on the Day of Judgment, not only will you get to not get to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you will not get to see Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we are people who are unable to, we were unable to be in the time of the Sahaba. So we did not get to see Prophet alive. The only hope is that we get to see him on the Day of Judgment. We hope to see him at the Hawza Kota that he will be there giving water for us to drink. We hope to stand amongst his ranks. But what if on that day, because of the sins that we did in this world, Allah SWT raises us up blind, then we will be mahroom, we will be deprived, we will be bereft upon seeing the Prophet Muhammad the Sahaba Ikram, and all the other great mu'mineen that have gone before us. And then finally, the seventh ayah, Allah SWT says in Quran, 
الم یادین امن و انتخش آکلوبہم When will that day come when your heart trembles in fear for him? When you follow his commands out of fear for him, when you lower your gaze out of fear for him. In Hadith, Prophet Muhammad said, gave some advices. Once a young man among the Sahaba came to Prophet and asked him, can you give me ijazah to do zina? That Ya Rasul openly asked him, very openly, plainly, that Ya Rasulullah, can you give me ijazah that I can make zina? So Prophet did not get mad at him. He did not scold him. He did not kick him out and tell him to leave. He spoke to him kindly. He spoke to him gently to make him understand. He said, that, Oh young man, if you wish to make zina with any woman, do you not know? Would you wish that somebody make zina with your mother? He said, No. Would you, would you wish that somebody make zina with your wife? He said, No. Would you wish that somebody make zina with your sister? He said, No. Would you wish that somebody make zina with your daughter? He said, No. You can think of this as zina of the eyes or any type of zina that you want, right? And so the Prophet told him that, Oh young man, if you do not wish that anybody was to make the zina or to look improperly at your mother, at your wife, at your sister, at your daughter, then know that any woman you look at, surely she must be somebody's mother, or otherwise she must be somebody's wife, or otherwise she must be somebody's sister, or at the very least for sure she must be somebody's daughter. So why do you wish to do that which you would, to other people's women which you wouldn't want anybody to do to your own. And then Prophet put his hand on his breast. This are the words of Hadith. He put his hand on that young Sahaba's breast and he made du'a for him. And then that Sahaba says that after that, in all the improper, the unlawful desires that I had in me left, and after that day, the most repugnant thing for me, the thing I disliked, detested, hated the most in the world was zina. So this also shows Isara, the Muhaddisin, right, that you should ask others to make du'a for you. You should ask elders to make du'a for you. You should ask people who have been able to purify themselves from this sin, people who have been able to control their gaze, to make du'a for you, that Allah Ta'ala will help you to control your gaze. Before I continue with some more remedies. Inshallah, I, let me switch over a bit for the sisters. But know that since we're talking so much about gaze, talking so much about controlling our gaze, well, there's a flip side of the coin, right? That whereas men and women, believing men and women, were both commanded to lower their gaze, and there's not enough time to go into hijab because it's really a whole separate topic in of itself. I thought today I would simply just read out some ayahs, and any woman or man who listens to these ayahs with a calm, a cool heart will realize that there is so much in our deen about separation of gender, so much in our deen about hijab, about piety and modesty, and none of that necessarily implies that women are being made prisoners, or they're being made downtrodden, or they're being excluded from the community. It just means that they have to carry themselves with a certain type of dignity, a certain type of haya. So look at this first ayah that Allah said in Quran. وَإِذَا سَأَلْتَ مُوْهُنَّ 
mataan fasaluhunna min wara'i hijabi zalikum atharu li kulubikum wa kulubihinna this is in surah al-ahzab ayah number 53 Allah SWT commanded and very interesting that although this ayah is technically originally revealed in regards to the sahaba right and about the ummahati mu'mineen the noble mothers of our ummah, the noble wives of the Prophet Muhammad But know that this ayah, like all of the ayahs, pertains to all of people at all times. But to understand the import, the magnitude of this ayah, do keep in mind that it is addressing the Sahaba and the Ummahatul Mu'mini. So Allah SWT commanded them, the Sahaba, that, Oh, when you ask, That when you go and ask the Mata'an anything, When you go and ask the mothers of the believers anything, Then how should you do so? Min wara'i hijab. That you should do so be, behind some partition, behind some curtain, behind some veil. So who's been given this command? The very best Muslims ever to live. The Sahaba Kiram radiallahu anhum ajma'in. And the best of them according to some ulama were equal to the ranks of the prophets. Some ulama say, Muhaddisin say, that Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Omar, they're not prophets. But they were such great human beings that they had a level of humanity that was the same as those of the lesser prophets. Allahu Alam. Either way, they were the greatest Muslims, the greatest human, no human beings will be as good as them, and me and you are far from them. But they are being told that when they speak to women, which women? <laughs> the Ummahatul Mu'mineen, who are the greatest women of all history, the greatest women ever to live and walk in the face of this earth. So these two groups of people are being told that when you wish to ask one another something, and this also shows you that the conversation should be if you need to ask something for hajat from the zurud. It doesn't say here when you conversate with one another, when you chat one another up. No. When you have to ask something from them, then how should you do so from behind, from behind the veil, behind the partition? Yes, you must lower the gaze. But in addition to lowering a gaze, have a hijab between you and them. Why? That, uh, why? Because this is atharu. This is pure. Thalikum atharu likulubikum. The old sahaba, this is pure for your hearts. Wakulubihinna and for their hearts. For the hearts of the Ummahatul Mu'mineen. Now you tell me, O oh women of today, are your hearts any more pure than the hearts of the Ummahatul Mu'mineen? Do you think that your heart is more pure than the heart of Sayyidina Khadija al-Kubra radiallahu anha? That your heart is more pure than Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu anha? Or that they needed taharat and therefore they had to do what was athar? But you, mashallah, are so far advanced from them that you don't need what Allah is describing in Qur'an as athar? So if it was pure for the, for the Sahaba and the mothers of the believers, surely this ayah must be true for us that it is also athar for us. So azka and athar, more pure, more sacred, more pleasing in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is if you ask them behind the veil, behind the partition. And this is the tragedy, this is what I'm stressing on this word athar because the men and women of today who don't believe in hijab and this type of hijab, partition. Women should be behind a partition in the masjid. I was once in New York, I used to give the khutbah every Friday at... Uh, I used to give the khutbah somewhere in New York every Friday and there was another person who used to give the khutbah there. He's a more famous scholar than me. And when I came, the first time I saw that the women were sitting in the back, and I had to give the khutbah, and then I talked to the president, uh, I talked to the person of that, who is in charge of that, 
prayer area. And I told him something about the deen, something about part of the, some of these ayat. And alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala, although maybe apparently he wasn't such a religious person in his outward observance, right? But Allah Ta'ala put something in his heart and he immediately ordered three of those screens and he put up those screens. And from then on, every time I went for Jummah, uh, the women would stay behind the screen. The one Friday I went and the screens weren't there. Now, when I came, then they put them up, but then I asked him afterwards, and I noticed the screens weren't there. Alhamdulillah, with the fuzzle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they kept the screens there all the time, not just for Jummah. Every single prayer, the woman would be behind screen. When the women would just come to that musalla just to do their own ibadah, they would be behind the screen. So I asked him that, you know, today I came and I saw the screens were up and you were putting them up. It seemed like just for Jummah. And he said, yes, you know, there's one scholar and he took this person's name and he came for Jummah. And he saw they were screened, so he told us to take them down. And he led Jummah like that. And I said, oh really? Well, why did he say that? And he said, that, oh, he quoted some random hadith to us that uh, the Prophet used to talk to women. Okay. I don't deny the Prophet ever talked to women. But can you say for sure that Prophet when he addressed them in the masjid, that there was no partition there? And they said, no, he didn't say anything like that to specifically. And I said, okay, all those historical things aside, what about this ayat? What about this ayat that talks about wada hijab behind the partition? Is there any answer that anybody in the world, anybody in the world has for this ayat? No. You, I challenge anybody who's listening today, anybody who listens to this later on, that you have an answer for this ayat. Call me, email me, let some brother know. Nobody has an answer to this ayat. Allah SWT is commanding the Sahaba and the mothers of the believers that if they speak to one another, to do so behind the hijab, to do so behind the partition, to do so behind the curtain. So what is the hukum for you and me? Now does this mean that women cannot participate in our masjid meetings? No. If a woman wants to be a member of the committee, she can join the committee. And surely there must be a woman who conveys the concerns of the women or the female aspects of the, the female needs of the women of the community. But what you can do is you can either have a partition in that meeting room or you can have a system of teleconferencing. Now these people in corporate America, they have their team in Tokyo and their team in Chicago and when they need to design something or discuss something, they have a meeting over phone. They have what they call teleconferencing. Now if these people can run their multinational companies without seeing one another's faces, you're telling me that we cannot run our masjids and Islamic organizations without seeing one another's faces? Just take a lesson from them. They're doing it. So I'm not trying to exclude women at all from participating in these organizations. I'm just saying that they should participate in a level of haya. And if they're not interested in doing so, what the men should make sure. And if they don't, no matter what great a center you make, no matter what you might accomplish, you will still have that taint, that scar, that sin that you sat with one another and looked one another in the face during these meetings. So this is the ayah that you can use for all of these type of things. Second thing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran, Ya ayyuhan nabi kulli azwajika wa banatika wa nisa'il mu'mineen yudnina alayhinna min jalabi bihinna That, O beloved Messenger of tell your wives and mothers of the believers and your daughters and all the women of the believers, wa nisa'il mu'mineen So any woman who wishes on the Day of Judgment to be raised amongst the nisa'il mu'mineen she must do what is being said in this ayah. If you wish to view yourself in this world as the Nisa'ul Mu'mineen, you must do what is being said in this ayah. 
yudnina alayhinna min jalabi bihinna that they should draw close about them, um, over themselves their jilbab. Now there's not enough time today to go into the lexical definition of what jilbab is. So today I'm even going to allow for any of the men or women who are listening to take whatever you want from the word jilbab. It means something though, right? There must be something you are drawing over yourself. It can't mean the jeans that the girls wear at Isna, right? There's no way you can make that part of this word jilbab. I'm not trying to here establish today covering of the face. That's another talk for another time. But take whatever you mean from this word jilbab, ask yourself honestly, are you doing it? And if you're not doing it, are you fooling yourselves that that was a ruling for another time? Let me open up something very clearly actually today. Is that it's a big tragedy that the Muslims of America, and many Muslims, they think that, well, you know, this is something that people do in India, Pakistan as part of their culture. No, this is not part of the Indian and Pakistani culture. Because Indian and Pakistani culture, if you take it away from Islam, it's Hindu culture. And I'm sorry, Hindu women do not wear jilbab. They do not talk to their men behind hijab. Yes, it is true that there are some parts of the Muslim world that have remained more steadfast in the Sharia and Sunnah. The fact that one particular country, one particular region is more steadfast in the Sharia and Sunnah does not make that thing culture. It just means that Allah Ta'ala has blessed that community by making them more adherent to the Sharia and Sunnah. Allah Ta'ala has blessed the women of that geographic region of making them as a collective more adhering to the rules of farja and hijab. doesn't make it a cultural thing. Ask any anthropologist in these universities what was the culture of pre-Islamic India. They will tell you that if these people are covering their faces, it's not a cultural thing. They must be doing it because Islam entered their land. Islam told them to do so. Number two, don't look at today. Go 200 years ago. I don't care if you're Hanafi, you're Shafi, you're Maliki, you're Hanbali, you like to study in Syria, you like to go to Mauritania, you think you study in Yemen, you want to study in Jordan. I don't care what those people are doing today. Ask any one of the Shiyukh from the Arab world 200 years ago. Just ask them 200 years ago, were the women in these areas covering their face? Were they wearing jilbab? Every single one of them will tell you yes. That's a different thing that today the women there might dress differently than the women of Pakistan and India. Just ask them 200 years ago what the state was. Or better yet, ask them what was the state of Damascus when Imam Ghazali used to be there. Ask him what was the state when Imam Nawi used to be there. Ask him what was the state when Imam Ibn Hajar used to be there. What was the condition of the women? What do the books, and the books mention it. What do the books say? Tell them to tell you honestly. What was the condition at that time? So if you think the condition of modern day Egypt is a model for you, then that means that those 1,200 years of Muslims in the Arab world, they were mistaken? Was there something wrong with them? So no, this isn't a cultural thing. This is something that was in the entire Muslim world. Yes, it might have died out more in certain parts of the Muslim world. And how exclusively, there's still, alhamdulillah, women in Syria and Jordan who do cover themselves totally. And maybe it has lasted a bit longer in India and Pakistan. That's all it is. That you can only thing you can fairly say is these particular rulings of Islam have managed to somehow last longer in India and Pakistan. And the proof of that is just go back 200 years. And if it was there 200 years, then say that was their culture also. And say, say it with your words, that the Egyptian and Syrian women have liberated themselves from the culture that was the time of Imam al-Ghazali. That those women who used to do jilbab, who used to wear niqab, it was all cultural. Send me that in an email if you dare. So don't think that this is some cultural thing. Yes, that's, a, that's another thing that everybody takes time to change gradually. Everybody changes gradually. 
Nobody, I'm not trying to hear and give some fire and brimstone beyond and tell the women that they have to go home and start wearing niqab immediately. I understand everybody changes gradually. I'm not even, even trying to change your amal tonight. I'm trying to change your aqidah. I'm trying to preserve your iman. That when you don't do something, that's one thing. Allah Ta'ala give you the tawfiq, the strength. There are many things I don't do on the deen. Allah Ta'ala give all of us the strength to become better and do more amal on what we know. But to sit there and have the incorrect belief, to say it's not part of the deen, to say it's part of Indian culture, that's something that's very dangerous. That's what I'm asking you to change tonight. In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَا يُبْدِينَ زِينَتَهُنَّ إِلَّا مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا Allah Ta'ala commands the believing women that they should not show, they should not reveal زِينَتَهُنَّ their zina except that which is already made apparent. Now again, I'm not going to try to argue with what the limit of this ayah might be. But let me just say some things that everybody would agree that that's zina. Zina means beauty and adornment. So can anybody tell me, is there somewhere we can remove makeup from this? Is there somewhere that a woman can wear makeup and think she's still following this ayah? Ayah of the Qur'an, and it's not culture, right? وَلَا يُبْدِينَ زِينَتَهُنَّ Do not reveal their zina. It means they shouldn't even be revealing their natural beauty, let alone putting artificial beauty upon themselves. So that means there's absolutely no provision for a woman to wear makeup in front of non-mahrum men, right? And then, if a woman was to be honest, zinat will also include wearing tight-fitted clothing. You know, my wife told me the story, uh, you know, that she, we also came back after a number of years from Pakistan, and she said that she met a girl here in Chicago who she had known uh, about six, seven years ago before we left for Pakistan to study. And she said that that girl, mashallah, when she knew her before, she used to study in the university, she used to study in MSA, she used to be a girl who wore jilbab. When my wife saw her now in Chicago, she said that she was wearing tight jeans, and she was wearing a tight top, and she had a tight hijab on. Now you tell me if a girl wears tight jeans and wears a tight top, how is she following this ayah? So at the very least, even if you can't follow it immediately, at the very least you should be aware. And that is the first step of Tawbah, is to admit our sins. Even in English, there's this famous saying, knowing is half the battle, right? And that's actually where shaitan is the first half of the battle. So shaitan has defeated us in that he's taken away our ilm of what is haya. He's taken our ilm of these Quranic ayat, Quran and Kareem, Azim al-Shan. He's blinded our eyes and blinded our hearts to these verses. So Allah said in Quran very clearly, وَلَا يُبْدِينَ زِينَتَهُنَّ إِلَّا مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا that they should not reveal any of their adornments except those that have to be revealed or those that are naturally open. In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and again, although this may technically have been revealed about the Ummahatul Mu'mineen, like all the other ayahs, the Mufassirin say, the ayah to apply to everyone at all times. And it's also a matter of reflection. If this was the ruling for the Ummahatul Mu'mineen, then what would the ruling be for an average Muslim woman today? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَلَا تَخْذَعْنَا بِالْقَوْلِ That you should not make your speech sweet and pleasant and soft. So when you do speak, number one we heard from before, speak from behind the hijab. Now we're hearing, even when you speak from behind the hijab, because Al-Quran, يُفَصِّلُ بَعْلَهُ بَعْلَهُ That the Quran comments upon it. You have to take all of the Quranic verses on any one issue. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded them that when you speak, do not speak to one another softly, do not speak to, uh, do not speak to the man softly or gently. Why? Because perhaps, that perhaps that, that person whose heart has some sickness, has the sickness of lust or desire, he might desire you, he might covet you. Now who were the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen speaking to? They were speaking to the Sahaba Karam al-Jamain. So Allah SWT is saying that don't speak to the Sahaba in a soft or kind or a gentle voice because maybe there might be somebody who might have this problem or their hearts might incline towards you. And so then you should speak to them in a knowing way. So let's add all these ayat together. Simply Qur'an. Taking the verses at their face value. Simply Qur'an, it means that number one, when you go out, if you have to go out, don't reveal anything of your zina, don't reveal any of your natural beauty, let alone adorn yourself with artificial beauty. Number two, that if you have to speak with your male Muslims, you should speak to them only about necessity when they need to ask you something, they need to know something from you. Number three, when you speak to them, wara'i hijab, you should speak to them behind a partition, behind a veil, behind a curtain. And number four, even after doing all that, when you speak to them, you should make your voice a bit stern or not soften up your voice so much to them. Know that the woman's true hijab actually is not what she wears. The true hijab is the hijab of her heart, the hijab of her personality. And this is a thing that our young sisters don't do. They reveal their personalities over IM, over email, on the cell phone to these brothers. They give up that which is most sacred to them. They give up their own personality. So you should know that it is not permitted in the Sharia to reveal your personality except to your mahramen or your teachers, your masayik, your asatiza as needed that they need to get to know you to make your islah. But other than that, you're not supposed to simply just give up and show everything or reveal the innermost worries and things of your personality to your non-mahramen. I should touch on something else here then since we're on this topic. Platonic friendships. That well, why can't men and women, Muslim men and women just be friends? In fact, you'll find many Muslim men and women, especially of the MSA crowd, they will argue to you that, well, then we help one another. You know, well, that sister, you know, she taught me, she ta- taught me so much about the deen, she helped me so much, right? She taught me so much about the deen, she helped me, she guided me. So if I wasn't allowed to talk to her, then I wouldn't have been able to benefit from her. Or conversely, some girl might say that, that, you know, well, that brother, he's the one who made me accept the deen. So yes, there is some scope for da'wah in the deen, but know that as long as there are women who can do da'wah amongst women, there's no real need for men to go and do that da'wah. And as long as there are men who can do da'wah amongst men, there's no reason for women to do that da'wah. So if the woman feels that, oh, there's some man who's coming to the MSA, it seems like he's interested in Islam, she should make du'a for him. And she should advise her Muslim brothers in the MSA that they should take up this task and they should invite that person towards the deen. And similarly with the men and women. I mean, it, you know, sometimes they do result in good things. I mean, we've seen people, I know people in, in Chicago, I mean, they used to give dawah to American girls and they're converting them and then marrying them and they're having kids and live happily ever after. So it seems like there's nothing really wrong with it. So Allah Ta'ala did save them and Allah Ta'ala did give a good outcome. But that person, when he first talked to that girl, he didn't know that he's going to end up marrying her. He didn't know everything was going to turn out to be okay. He didn't know that she was going to accept Islam. It would have been better at that moment that he would have, should have asked one of the girls in the MSA that she should have talked to that, sister, that non-Muslim sister. She should have taken the uh, effort or taken the lead in making dawah. 
So this was a few things on hijab. And getting back to some now on controlling the desire, finally we will end here with what our mashayikh have said. So we mentioned some cures for controlling the gaze from Quran. We mentioned some cures from controlling the gaze from Hadith. And now we will mention some cures for controlling the gaze from our mashayikh. The first thing that they say is that you should change, you should refocus your thoughts. You should think of something else immediately. In other words, when your heart or your mind starts to have this unlawful desire, force yourself to think of something different. Immediately change your mind. Just totally do inhiraf, inhiraf, totally change your thought from one thing to the other. Try to think about something, anything that you want. In fact, you should have these things ready beforehand. And if this type of desire comes to me, I'm going to think about this or I'm going to think about that. Imam al-Ghazai Allah said, that what you should do is you should address yourself. And you should say that, oh my nafs or oh shaitan, why do you tell me to look at this thing? If I look at her and she's ugly, I'll sin without any pleasure. And if I look at her and she's pretty, then I will have a desire in my heart for that which I can't attain. Shaykh Asraf Ali Tanvarahimullah said that when you have the desire in you to go look at something you shouldn't, then instead you should immediately think of some ugly person, some bald, blind, diseased, sickened person, and just imagine them in your mind, and then immediately your desire will go away. One Shaykh said that if you wish to look at a, a woman, then instead of looking, you should imagine her as a corpse, that she's rotted, that she's decayed. Another Shaykh said that think of her how she might look in old age. And she is wrinkled, she has no teeth, her hair is falling out. Another person said, another sheikh said that think that one of your elders, your father, your elder brother, your sheikh, your ustad is looking at you at that moment. And think that if that person is looking at me at that moment, then I would be ashamed then to misdirect my gaze. And then address yourself that, oh my nafs, are you so distant from Allah that if you imagine that your sheikh is looking at you, you will lower your gaze and you don't care that Allah is looking at you at all times? Is this the type of mushrik that you have become? That you care more about what creation says, you don't care at all about what Allah thinks? So address yourself that Allah is looking at you. The second thing that the Mashaikh said that you should punish your nafs. That you should set a punishment for yourself that every time I fall into this sin, I'm going to do this. Shaykh Ashraf says that you should say that I'll pray 20 nafal. And actually do it also. That you should pray 20 nafal every time you fall into the sin, whether you're a man or a woman, you misdirect your gaze, you eye on that MSA brother a bit longer than you should, you enjoyed it when he calls you more than you should, right? So you should punish yourself in some way, for example, praying 20 rakats nafal. Some person, some sheikh said that you should fast three days. Uh, and I should mention this about fasting also. In this specific thing, when is the fasting of Ramadan that's first? But when you fast for this niyyah, that you're fasting in order to punish your nafs. Then when you fast, you can't just fast during the day, but you have to do something special at night, is you have to eat very little. Because otherwise you're going to fast at Maghrib, you're going to have the three plates of biryani, your stomach will be full, and you used to do these sins at night anyway, so at night you're just going to fall into that same sin again. So you have to seriously limit what you eat at the night time. There have been some people, some salakeen, some students of our mashayikh, who used to try to rid themselves of their sin, they used to fast just with water. Otherwise, they used to make iftar with one glass of water, and that's it then. They wouldn't eat anything, and in the morning they would take their sahur with another glass of water, and they would do that for three days. And that would be what suppressed their desire. So if your health permits, do whatever you can, 
but don't go all out in your food when you eat at night because then that's going to negate this in this sense, the purpose of your fasting. You'll still get the sawab for making the nafil fast. But remember, now we're prescribing the fast for the ability to control your appetite. So if you give in to your appetite, uh, if you give in to your gluttony after the fast breaks, then this fast won't help you to control your desire. The third thing, Mishayik, right, is that you can put a monetary penalty on yourself. A monetary penalty that you feel, not like a dollar, right? Because that's the sad will be very happy to buy a bad gaze for a dollar. So make it something like $20 or $40 or $100. The other thing, the other thing is, and now this is getting to stuff that I learned directly from my chef. And if, in fact, if you just listen to what I'm about to say, you're going to see how much a person learns from a chef. So the first thing our chef taught us is that you should stay away from all the opportunities where your gaze may be misdirected. You should stay away from mixed gatherings, from weddings, from parties like that. From the places where Allah is being disobeyed. Now yes, if you really have to go with some close family member, and by close I mean literally just really your blood siblings, you should try your best to tell them that they should try to keep their wedding according to the Sharia. If they don't, then you should clock in and clock out. You should go and just make an appearance for a short period of time and then leave, especially try to leave before the extra activities like the dancing and the music and the things like that happen. Go there very briefly just for the sake of pleasing your parents and keep your gaze lower through that time and then leave that gathering. Be the last to get there and the first to leave. Put it that way. But otherwise, in general, and that's the only exception given for your own blood siblings, cousins, no. You cannot go to a first cousin's wedding if you know there are going to be 50 women there who are trying to make them look, make themselves look more beautiful than the, on that night than they ever have, you won't be able to resist that test. You will not be able to pass that test. What if a student goes and takes an exam that he knows he's going to fail? Right? Why would I go take the MCAT tomorrow? It's a waste of my time. I know I'm going to fail. Nobody sits for that exam that he knows he's going to fail. So don't go to the opportunities of sin. Number two, that when you're walking in the streets, you should look down at all times. Make this your practice in the street. That when you're walking in the street, you should look down. When you go to a store, when you're a checkout counter, go to that counter where the, there's not a woman if there's a man. Or if there are women, then go to that counter where the woman doesn't look that attractive to you. On the airline check-in, go to that counter where there's a man. Wherever you have the ability... That way at night you can make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Ya Allah, I did whatever was in my ability. Now Allah, you do whatever is in your ability. So do whatever is in your ability to safeguard yourself. Then Allah ta'ala will save you from those abilities where you wouldn't have had the capacity to save yourself. Number three, that when you're driving in your car and you reach a red light, don't start looking around and scoping who's in the other car. Even though you might just do it out of habit, you're just looking. No, this is what it means, lowering your gaze. Keep looking at the road. Don't look around who's in the car next to you because sooner or later you're going to hit a stoplight that in the car to the left of you or to the left of you or to the right of you, there will be an attractive woman sitting there and your gaze will fall upon her. So this is what that eye means, lowering your gaze. It's a way of life. It's not a reaction. It's not a reaction. It's a proactive way of life, keeping your gaze lowered. In all of these different instances that I'm giving. So when you're in a car in the stoplight, don't look around. Look at our Mashaik. It seems something so simple, right? But this is what you learn. Mashaik teach simple things. But they teach very useful and valuable things. And you'd be amazed how many things, just this one thing, maybe it'll save you from that gaze. 
The next thing is that when you travel in a plane or a bus or a train, take a book with you. If it's light reading, something to engage you, keep yourself occupied because otherwise you will simply sit there and look around the plane, look at the stewardesses, look at all the female passengers. Occupy yourself. If it means taking a napping. Next thing is to uh, okay, look down at your feet at all times. The next thing is to think when you're looking down, what should your near be? That your near should be that I must veil myself from women. That if these women, either because they're not Muslim or because they haven't uh, been able to practice Islam fully, they're unable to veil themselves from me, well then it is my job to veil myself from them and therefore I should look down at all times. And our Sheikh mentioned this in Tawaf also when we went with him on Umrah. That when you do Tawaf, you should look down. And he actually told us a story in the hotel room in Mecca that once somebody came to him in Makkah Mukarram and asked the Sheikh to make du'a and said, Oh Sheikh, my Sheikh make du'a for me. I'm unable to control my gaze even here in Makkah Mukarramah. While I'm sitting in the haram, while I'm doing tawaf, I'm looking at all the faces of the women who are around me. In front of the Kaaba. Now don't think that that was some despicable person. He, he was just like you and me. He was just honest and he was open enough to tell it to his teacher. And this is what it means. This is the intoxicating, the all-consuming, the addictive nature of the gaze that if a person is able to control his gaze now and just make that knee now, if you haven't been able to go for Umrah or Hajj or you haven't been for some years or you plan to go at some time, say, Ya Allah, let me work on controlling my gaze here. So when that moment comes, and I told you before a few days ago that just like du'a are more accepted in Makkah Mukarma, your ibadat are more accepted in Makkah Mukarma. If you sin against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the presence, in the visual range, if you commit a sin of the eye when you could see the Kaaba or you were even seeing the Kaaba out of your peripheral vision, imagine what an incredible sin that would be in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So train your gaze now so that you don't commit that sin over there when you get there. Then the Shaykh also said that don't go to parks or other such public things when they're crowded. When you have to go to the park to take your kid, try to pick a time when you know there'll be less people there so there will be less chance of you of misdirecting your gaze. When you're in waiting in the lounge of the medical doctor's office, or you're sitting in the airport, and there's a TV with all these pictures and ads of beautiful women trying to sell you every, market, every, every marketable product on earth, don't sit facing the TV, but deliberately take a seat in that airport lounge, in that doctor's office waiting room that has your back towards that TV. This is the people who remember Allah at all times. They're telling you how to remember Allah at the traffic light. They're telling you how to remember Allah at the doctor's office. They're telling you how to remember Allah at the transit lounge. They're telling you how to remember Allah on the plane. And then when you're driving, don't look at the billboards around you. And this is a fitna that's spread all over our Muslim world now, even in our, the city of Lahore. It's full of billboards, full of all types of you know, attractive women who are trying to sell you cell phones and trying to make you drink Pepsi. So don't look at the billboards when you're driving. Or if you're sitting as a passenger in the car. Lower your gaze. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. It is a way of life. Unless you make it your way of life, you will never lower your gaze. If you make it your way of life, you will automatically end up lowering your gaze. In those instances, it would have been dangerous for you to keep them raised. The second thing. So these were all small things. The second major thing, for those of you who are married, is that you should keep your wife happy. Because that man, that men and women who have a lot of muhammad with one another, who have a lot of love for one another, it will be very difficult then for that man to feel an unlawful desire. It will be difficult for that woman to feel an unlawful desire. 
The woman should smile at her husband with love. She should receive her husband with love when he comes home. The husband should give affection to his wife. He should ask his wife to dress up for him. Because actually the women should... It's only natural for a woman to want to look pretty. Now Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, do not show your zina out there. But they have this natural desire so they should want to look pretty in front of their husbands. So the women themselves should try to make themselves look attractive in front of their husbands. Look at the opposite, what it is in our communities, that the women walk around in home in their house clothes, when only their men can see them. And when it's time to go out to the wedding, when on the non-mahram will be there, they're wearing ghalada, and they're wearing jewelry, and they're wearing makeup. It's the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be. So a woman at home should adorn herself beautifully, and the man should praise his wife. He should say that you look beautiful today. He should give her from time to time a gift of jewelry. Don't try to be too much of a Sufi, right? And think that, oh, you know, I'm above these things and I don't need these things. These are part of your natural fit. So you think you're above these things, I shake you to say openly. Anybody who thinks he's above these things, he's lying. He used to say it to his students. That you are just lying. You cannot fool Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You might not even know yourself. You may have fooled yourself, but you are just lying and deceiving yourself. If you do not do something the halal way, Allah ta'ala will see to it that you do it the haram way. You will smile at the Radio Shack girl if you fail to smile at your wife at home. So smile at your wife, give kindness, affection, and love to your wife. The wife should try to look pretty for her husband. The husband should appreciate that from his wife. They should give more and more love to one another. There is romance in Islam, but the romance takes place in the confines of your home. So you should be romantic with one another. You should be endearing to one another. You should be affectionate to one another. Otherwise, without doing that, again, you will not get that sukoon. And And so you will look for that sukoon elsewhere, whether you do it knowingly or you do it unknowingly, you will try to find that sukoon elsewhere. The third thing is that you should remember Allah SWT and think about how distant you must be uh, you must become from him in every single case. And you should make dua at tahajjah time that Allah SWT save you from this sin. The next thing the Mashaikh write, our Shaykh taught us, is that you should imagine what the punishment of the eyes will be. Now it's not 100% clear what it will be in hadith. You can imagine it in different ways. Imagine that your eyes are being stapled shut on the Day of Judgment. Imagine one Shaykh writes and imagine that thread of iron and steel is being used to stitch your eyes shut for the sins that they used to do. Imagine that your eyes are getting pounded in over and over for years and years and eons. Imagine some type of punishment of the eyes that may take place in the hellfire and then maybe that will prompt you to lower your gaze. Then our Sheikh says a very strange things in one of his books. And he says that those people who have such a deeply ingrained habit of misdirecting their gaze, and all of the above doesn't work for them. All of the above has failed, although I don't think any, all of you would have anybody who tried all of the above, but if all of the above fails to work, then they should reflect on one usul, one principle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That when a person first does sin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-halim. And we mentioned this before, that Al-Halim is that attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means that He has kudrat, He has the ability to punish His servant for sinning, but He holds back. He has forbearance, He has helm, that despite His ability to punish that person, 
he grants them a stay, he grants them a respite. Otherwise, it befits the majesty of Allah. It would befit, it would be as haq that the very first time we misdirected our gaze, Allah should have made us blind. The very first time we misused our tongue, Allah should have made us mute. The very first time we use our hands in sin, Allah should have made us paralyzed. The very first time we thought a sin, Allah should have made us dumb. It would have been the haq, it would have 100% befitted the majesty, the azmat, the jalal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Allah ta'ala is also al-haleem, that in the beginning when a servant sins, he holds back, he has forbearance, he doesn't punish him immediately. He waits. Let him make tawbah. Then stage number two comes. That some time passes and that person still doesn't make tawbah, then the mashayikh writes, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with that person with his sattar, he is a sattar with that person. In other words, then he starts covering up his sins for him. Allahu Akbar Kabir. Ya Arhamar Rahimeen, Ya Sattar, Ya Kareem. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala covers up his sins for that person. That not only did I give you time, my servant, to repent from your sin, you still continued, you were doing it so widespread, let me cover it up for you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala conceals that sin, he does not expose that person before his wife or his mother or his daughter. But then the Mashaikh writes and then a third stage comes. And that third stage is that even then, after Allah subhanahu wa conceals that person's sins, that person still doesn't repent, so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then decrees his punishment in the akhir for that person and seals that case. So we should think that, Ya Allah, surely we are in that second stage. We are in that stage where you are being with us as sitar, you are concealed and covered our sins in front of humanity. If anybody was to see our sins, or even if anyone of you to know my sins, we wouldn't even wish to look in one another's direction, we wouldn't even think it would be worthy to spit on that person's face. Allah Ta'ala has concealed our sins so much, and we should think, Ya Allah, we are in the second stage. Before we get to that third stage, we should repent of our sins. Because Allah said in Quran Al-Kareem, وَمَنْ يَحِنَ اللَّهُ فَمَا لَهُ مِنْ مُكْرِمٍ and that person who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the layl, who he makes base, there is nobody, no power on earth who can do his ikram, no power on earth who can restore his honor, respect and dignity. So the third stage after covering our sins, if we continue, then sooner or later Allah will make us the layl, expose us, abase us in this world or in the next. And then we should address our nafs. That all our nafs, People take your name with so much respect, but look what type of actions that you do. People think you are the friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you do the works that indicate that you are the friend of shaitan. And apparently you follow the sunnah, but inside your heart is filled with the shahwa, with the carnal, the lustful desires. You hide what you do from the makhluk. Your sins are hidden from, from creation. But your sins are plain and exposed before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You view yourself as the talib of Jannah that you seek and yearn for admission to Jannah. But with your own hands you are earning admission into the hellfire. And you should address yourself in this way and think that the doors of Tawbah are always open. And maybe like tonight, which might be the last night of this month of Ramadan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might open up the doors of Tawbah to us. Allah ta'ala might accept us. Surely if a person has a desire for this to end. And this is another misconception. Don't think that these desires will ever end inside you. And think that, well, what can I do? Because I still have these desires, I still have to look. 
these desires never end, no matter what state you reach. This is human nature. Allah Ta'ala has put these desires in us. It's not about killing these desires. It's about making your haya. It's about adorning your iman with this beautiful characteristic called haya, making your haya triumphant over your hawa. It's about making your modesty and your dignity more powerful than your desire. Don't think your desires will ever end. Your whole life will live in this constant struggle between this desire and controlling the desire. So it's not about eliminating the desire. It's about triumphing over desire. It's about controlling the desire. So when you understand it like that, then you will try, inshallah. Should we continue? few more things so I can transfer my amanat to you. It's also what I've learned from my elders is just an amanat that I carry with me and I can also be called to task on the Day of Judgment if I fail to share everything with you. The next thing the Mashaikh says is a person should take help from Salah. What does that mean? That first seek help with sabr. First try to have patience and control your gaze. But if you're unable to do that, then seek help with salah. Sayyidina Abu Bakr Shariq, one of the few hadith he narrated, he said that Apostle said that if you wish to make repentance from any type of sin, you should pray two raka'as nafil and then make dua on Allah Ta'ala forgive you for your sin. This later just became known as Salat al-Tawbah. It's actually just praying two raka'as nafil and making dua afterwards of istighfar and tawbah. About the fasting, that you should try to fast the 13th, for, especially for those who are not married. And Prophet said in the Hadith, actually, that those who are not married, they should fast. So they should fast the 13th, 14th, and 15th of every lunar month. And then on that, they can add every Mondays and Thursdays. And if that is not enough, then they can try to fast, start try fasting every other day. But remember what I told you, the way that you have to fast is very important, that you must not give in to your appetite in the night. Another thing the Mashaikh says, you should stay in a state of wudu at all times because it comes in hadith, al-wudu'u salah al-mu'min, that wudu is the weapon of the believer. The next thing the Mashaikh says, that you should make dua repeatedly. In fact, on that hadith that I mentioned, Shaykh Bayezid Bustami Rahimahullah, who is one of the Mashaikh of our chain, he, it, it's narrated about him that he once said that at one point I felt some desire. Now, probably for him it was probably just a trifling but he says that I felt some desire. Immediately, I prayed two nafil to Allah, two, two raka of nafil salah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I turned to him in dua. Allah ta'ala accepted my dua, and from that day on, there was no difference for me between a woman and a wall. So Allah ta'ala, he can give this to you if you ask him for it. The other, another thing, you know, oh, some more practical things have come up. Number one is do not stay free. This is very important. Do not, especially for the young men, do not let yourself have any free time. Busy yourself, fill up your time, fill each and every moment of your time. Just think, for example, when you, whatever sin that you do. Were you able to do it during exams week? Were you able to do it during finals week? No, because in finals week you were so busy, there was no time to do that sin. Or you're so preoccupied, you were so motivated elsewhere that there was no ability to do that sin. So if you want to save yourself from sin, you must occupy your time. Fill it up with ten things. If you think there's no room, fill it up with the third thing. Fill up your time. Busy up your time. Do not leave yourself free to commit that sin. The next thing in the Mashaikh, and then spend your time. Spend your 
time in reading, spend your time studying Qur'an, acquiring knowledge, memorizing Qur'an, keeping time with elders. If you can't do that, then volunteer somewhere. Go and just sign up at one of these soup kitchens and say, I'm going to give you three hours a day. Because you know that you spend three hours a day wasting time anyway. Do something. Do not let your time remain unoccupied. Busy yourself. Occupy yourself every moment of the day. Number two. Again, for the young man, don't stay alone. Don't let yourself be alone. Study in public. Study in the library. Do not let yourself be alone at all costs. Do not let yourself be alone at all costs. And I think the rest of these, inshallah, we will discuss in our own little session. So, Sayyidina Abu Bakr then in that, in that hadith said that when you pray those two rakahs and make this dua, you should reflect on this ayah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. Another ayah. That day we mentioned some ayahs of rahmah. They're unending. Well, there, I mean, there's so many of them. Here's another one. That that person who commits some error or does zulm oppresses himself. So commit some sin. Thumma. And then after that, yastaghfirullah, he asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive him. What will happen? Yajidullah, he will find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be zafoolan rahimah, forgiving and merciful. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr said, read this ayah. Read this ayah and reflect this ayah and then make dua. So pay two rakats, read this ayah, reflect on the meaning of this ayah, Make yourself a sign of this ayah. Live your life according to this ayah. That those people who sin, who oppress themselves, if they then turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in istighfar, seek His forgiveness, they will find that their Lord is nothing other than Ghafoor al-Rahim, is nothing other than the forgiving and the merciful one. And the biggest thing, the biggest thing that this gaze costs us, <coughs> is that we lose our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The true price that we pay is we pay with the price of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our hearts become empty of His love. How can you expect to love the ghairullah and still have the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart? How do we expect to pollute our heart with so many images and still have the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala engraved on our heart? How can we expect to be people of walladheena amanu ashadnu humban lillah? That those people, the believers, are those who are extreme in their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when rather we are extreme in our worldly passions and our worldly desires. So the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been taken out from our hearts. Whether we're a man or a woman, a girl or a boy, an old man or an old woman, the more and more false loves that we have, the less love we will have for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those people who used to love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, subhanallah al-azim, they loved Him to the exclusion of everything else. The love for Allah subhanahu wa was the be-all and end-all of their life. There was nothing else that mattered to them in life except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Malik bin Dinar rahimahullah, one of our famous tabai tabin, our famous mashaykh, he narrates a story that once it was in the depth of the heat of the summer, an extremely hot day in the middle of the day when nobody in their right mind would leave their house. And he left his dwelling, he left his shelter because he had to go on some necessary tasks and when he went, he saw some young men. Look at the condition, oh my friends, look at the condition of the young men who love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he found a young man who was crippled. A young man who was rather, I should say, paralyzed from waist down. And that young man was dragging himself along. 
So she went up to that young man and said, Oh, young man, where is it that you're going? Why is it that you're dragging yourself along in this, one of the hottest of summer days, in the highest of noons? And he looked at him, and he said, Oh, Malik bin Dinar, I have to go, I'm in a rush. He said, Well, where is it that you're going? And he said that I am going to, I'm dragging myself to Makkah Mukarramah because I'm trying to get there in time to make Hajj. So because you are not crippled like me or not paralyzed like me, you can go in your own sweet time. But because I have to drag myself there, I'm so worried that I might not get there in time for this Hajj season. And if I get there late, I'll have to wait an entire other year. And Allah knows if I'll remain alive to see another Hajj. So Malik bin Dinar said that, Oh my young man, why don't you come to my house and take some rest? And I myself will arrange for a horse or some type of mount, some type of steed, some type of transportation for you. And then you can go on that horse in a relaxed manner and you don't have to drag yourself in such a way. And Malik bin Dinar and Ari said, That young man looked at him and said, Malik bin Dinar, until this day, until this day, I thought you were the wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What type of thing are you saying? When a sinning slave, when a runaway slave is trying to go back to his master to make up, does that runaway slave come riding on a horse to his master? Or does that runaway slave come dragging himself in humility? Until this day I thought you were the wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How could you think that I could go to my Lord on Hajj riding on a horse? So he left and said that and he kept dragging himself along. Malik bin Dibinah rahimahullah later says that it so happened that that year he went for Hajj himself. And after he had finished Hajj and finished the final tawaf and all of the different arkan, the different pillars of Hajj were finished, he saw in the mutaf around the Hanukkah that there was a group of people gathered. So like everybody else, he went to go see what that group of people was gathered about. And he heard the voice of a young man and he realized that this is the voice of that same young man that I, and I met. So he pushed himself through the crowd so he could see. When he pushed himself through the crowd, he saw that truly it is that same young man who has been who is paralyzed from his waist down, who is dragging himself like that on the ground, and he was making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he was making such a strange dua to Allah that people had gathered to witness his dua. The dua of an ashik, the dua of a muhib, the dua of a person min rajalullah, a person of the a, a true man, a true human being, a true lover of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when he went to see what dua he was making, that young man was crying out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in dua that, Oh Allah, I came to you and I made my hajj. Ya Allah, I made my tawaf. I made my rami. I made my sa'i. I stayed at Mina. I stayed at Muzdalafa. I had the day of Arafat. Ya Allah, all the things from hajj have been done. But Ya Allah, now where everybody is offering an animal for sacrifice, Ya Allah, you know me that I am your weak, your crippled, your paralyzed servant. That I have nothing to offer you. I have no money, no means of making that sacrifice. But Ya Allah, you are so kind, so merciful that you let me come for this hajj. Ya Allah, it's the last wish of my life that I make this hajj. Ya Allah, I may have no animal life to sacrifice. But if you are pleased with me, and you would be pleased to meet me in this state that I am in hajj, Ya Allah, accept me as a sacrifice to you today. And by saying that, he said, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. And he passed away right there in front of the eyes of Malik bin Dinar. <laughs> this was the state of the people who love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah ta'ala gives them the tawfiq to meet, to meet him. 
he gives them their liqa, he calls them up to him as a nafsul mutma'inna, he calls them up all serene and contented soul, come back to your Lord, come back to your abode, come back to this beautiful garden that I've prepared for you. So my friends, this one great sin that we have so much difficulty leaving, the sin of controlling our gaze, the sin of controlling our desire, the sin of controlling our hands, the sin of safeguarding ourselves from these gatherings, the sin of safeguarding the, the temptation to save ourselves from the temptation of the internet, to save ourselves from the temptation of the television, to save our temptation from the women in our MSA, to save ourselves from the temptation of the women in our society. Ya Allah, what will be that thing that can give us the ability to save us? Illa man rahima rabbi, that there is no person who is saved except that Allah sends his rahmah upon him. This is the night of the 29th of Ramadan, the last night perhaps of this month of Ramadan. After we fasted so many days, we can turn to Allah Ta'ala tonight and ask Him from the depths of our heart to forgive us for this grave sin that we commit. La ilaha illallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran al-Kareem وَلَلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدَعُوهُ بِهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the beautiful names. You should make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with them. So it was the practice of some of our mashayikh when they wanted their dua to be accepted to call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with all of the 99 names. So inshallah tonight, being the last night of Ramadan, being at Friday night, which we have tomorrow off, we will make this dua. We will begin our dua by calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using all of His 99 names. And the way we will do this is I will, we will make dua together. And I will recite the name, for example, Ar-Rahman. And then we will all call to Allah, Ya Allah. Fad'uhu, it means to make dua or to call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, I will say Ar-Rahmanu, Ya Allah. And then all of you should say, Ya Allah. Then I will say Ar-Rahimu, Ya Allah. All of you should say, Ya Allah. Like, like that, we will go through the 99 names, inshallah. And we will all have called out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because all of us may not have memorized the names. But when I say that name and say, you say Ya Allah, it means you are calling upon Him on that name that I mentioned. So every time I say a name, say Ya Allah. Once we go through the 99 names, then we will make dua the way we normally do. Ar-Rahmanu Ya Allah Ar-Rahmanu Ya Allah Ar-Rahimu Ya Allah Al-Maliku Ya Allah Al-Quddusu Ya Allah As-Salamu Ya Allah Al-Mu'minu Ya Allah Al-Muhaymanu Ya Allah Al-Azizu Ya Allah Al-Jabbaru Ya Allah Al-Mutakabbir Ya Allah Al-Khaliku Ya Allah Al-Bari Ya Allah Al-Musawwiru Ya Allah Al-Ghaffaru Ya Allah Al-Ghaffaru Ya Allah Al-Ghaffaru Ya Allah Al-Qahharu Ya Allah 
Al-Wahhabu ya Allah Al-Razzaku ya Allah Al-Fattahu ya Allah Al-Alimu ya Allah Al-Qabidu ya Allah Al-Basitu ya Allah Al-Khafidu ya Allah Al-Rafi'u ya Allah Al-Mu'idhu ya Allah Al-Mudhillu ya Allah Al-Mudhillu ya Allah Al-Mudhillu ya Allah As-Sami'u ya Allah Al-Basiru ya Allah Al-Hakamu ya Allah Al-Adlu ya Allah Al-Latifu ya Allah Al-Khabiru ya Allah Al-Halimu ya Allah Al-Halimu ya Allah Al-Halimu ya Allah Al-Adimu ya Allah Al-Ghafuru ya Allah Al-Shakuru ya Allah Al-Aliyu ya Allah Al-Kamiru ya Allah Al-Hafidu ya Allah Al-Muqitu ya Allah Al-Hasibu ya Allah Al-Jalilu ya Allah Al-Kareemu ya Allah Al-Kareemu ya Allah Al-Raqibu ya Allah Al-Mujibu ya Allah Al-Wasi'u ya Allah Al-Hakimu ya Allah Al-Wadudu ya Allah Al-Majidu ya Allah Al-Ba'ithu ya Allah Al-Shahidu ya Allah Al-Haqqu ya Allah Al-Waqilu ya Allah Al-Qawiyu la Allah Al-Matinu ya Allah Al-Waliyu ya Allah Al-Hamidu ya Allah Al-Muhsi'u ya Allah Al-Mumdi'u ya Allah Al-Mu'idu ya Allah Al-Muhyi ya Allah Al-Mumitu ya Allah Al-Hayyu ya Allah Al-Qayyumu ya Allah Al-Wajidu ya Allah Al-Majidu ya Allah Al-Wahidu ya Allah Al-Ahadu ya Allah Al-Samadu ya Allah Al-Qanidu ya Allah Al-Muqtadiru ya Allah Al-Muqannimu ya Allah Al-Muakhiru ya Allah Al-Awwalu ya Allah Al-Akhiru ya Allah Al-Zahiru ya Allah Al-Batinu ya Allah Al-Waliu ya Allah Al-Muta'ali ya Allah Al-Barru ya Allah Al-Tawabu ya Allah Al-Tawabu ya Allah
Hakim ya Allah Al-Afu ya Allah Al-Afu ya Allah Al-Afu ya Allah Al-Rawfu ya Allah Malikul mulku ya Allah Zul jalali wal ikram ya Allah Al muksitu ya Allah Al jami'u ya Allah Al ghaniyu ya Allah Al mughni ya Allah Al mani'u ya Allah Al dhallu ya Allah Al nafi'u ya Allah Al nuru ya Allah Al hani ya Allah Al badiyu ya Allah Al baqi ya Allah Al warithu ya Allah Al rashidu ya Allah Al-Saburu Ya Allah Ya Allah Ya Allah Ya Allah Ya Alhamil Rahimin Arhamna Ya At-Tawabun Rahim Ya Alhamil Rahimin Ya the most merciful of merciful ones Ya Allah to you are all of the beautiful names those that we recited it infinitely more. Ya Allah, in Allah, jmeelun, verily, Allah, you are beautiful. Ya Allah, let us also love that which is beautiful. Ya Allah, let us find pleasure in your beauty. Ya Allah, take us away from the beauty of this world. Take us away from the zenith of the hayat dunya. Ya Allah, and grant us the love of the zenith of the akhirah. Ya Allah, we also want to be people on that day who get to see you, who have your ra'ya. Ya Allah, we also want to be to gaze upon you in your resplendent glory, to gaze upon you unveiled. Ya Allah, forgive us for our sins this day. Ya Allah, forgive everyone today. <laughs> forgive us for all the sins that we ever did. Forgive us for the sins that we did in the past. Forgive us for the sins that we do in the present. Forgive us for the sins that we did knowingly. Forgive us for the sins that we did unknowingly. Ya Allah, forgive us for the sins that we remember. Forgive us for the sins that we've forgotten. Ya Allah, forgive us for the sins that we did with others. Forgive us for the sins that we did when we were alone. Ya Allah, forgive us for the sins that we did when we were alone. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the lying that we did to cover our sins. Forgive us for all the concealing that we did to cover our sins. Ya Allah, forgive us for hypocrisy on our faces when we came to your masjid after committing sin. Ya Allah, forgive us for the hypocrisy in us that we came to spend it off while doing sin. Ya Allah, forgive us for the hypocrisy in us that we dare to come before the people after committing sin. Ya Sattar, Ya Allah, you hid in veil all of our sins. Ya Allah, keep us veiled. Keep the sins, keep our sins veiled forever, both in this world and in the next. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the sins that we did. Ya Allah, this eye that has seen the Kaaba. Ya Allah, have mercy upon this eye. Ya Allah, this eye that has looked upon the Quran. Have mercy upon this eye. Ya Allah, this eye that has seen your masjid. Have mercy upon this eye. Ya Allah, keep our eye from seeing that which we shouldn't see. Ya Allah, help us to lower our gaze. Help us to control our desires. Help us to be people of haya. Ya Allah, we live like animals. Ya Allah, there is no shame, no modesty left in us. 
Ya Allah, we have become empty of haya. Your beloved messenger, Sallallahu said, Al-Haya'u min al-Iman. Ya Allah, where is our Iman today? Ya Alhamdulillah, Rahimin, restore our Iman to us. Ya Allah, make us people of haya. We too want to be people of modesty, of dignity, of honor. Ya Allah, grant us our haya. Ya Allah, forgive us for our sins. Ya Allah, forgive our sisters for their sins. Forgive us for looking at them and forgive them for exposing themselves to us. Ya Allah, forgive us all for our sins. Give us the ability to lower our gazes, to adorn ourselves with the sunnah and sharia. Ya Allah, the true zinat is the zinat of the sharia. Ya Allah, sacrifice the beauty of this world for the beauty of your deen. Ya Allah, let, us, let the deen be more beloved to us than anything in the world. Ya Allah, let us always be aware that you are looking at us. Let us always be aware that you are watching us. Let us always be aware that we are with us. Ya Allah, you yourself said in Quran, huwa ma'akum aina ma'kuntum, that you are with us wherever we may be. Ya Allah, let us feel you every moment in our lives. Let us feel your closeness and your qurb once again. Let us feel your proximity once again. Ya Allah, we too want to be amongst those people who on the day of judgment when they see you, that they will smile upon you and you will smile upon them. We too also want to be amongst the radhi Allahu anhum wa radhu an. We too want to be amongst the yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbunahu. Ya Allah, include us amongst the ranks of these people. Ya Allah, forgive us for the temptations of our desire. Ya Allah, we make dua to you tonight. Ya Allah, what else does a person have except du'a? Ya Allah, you yourself said in Quran, we are da'if. Ya Allah, you yourself said that you created humanity weak. Ya Allah, we are the weakest of your weak servants. Ya Allah, we are the most needy of your needy servants. Ya Allah, we are the most sinning of your sinning servants. Ya Allah, we beg of you to shower your rahmah upon us. In the barakah of this month of Ramadan, Ya Allah, let us not be bereft, let us not be mahroom, let us not be devoid of this rahmah. Ya Allah, let us not fail to get our sins forgiven in this month. Let us not be amongst those people who Prophet made dua that they would be far from him on the day of judgment, that they would be far from you, that ba'udah far indeed may they be if they fail to get forgiven this month. Ya Allah, only you can forgive us this month. Only you can take us out from that dua. Only you can take us out from the hellfire. Ya Allah, do not punish us in the hellfire. Ya Allah, we cannot even stand the heat of the sun. Ya Allah, how will we stand the heat of the hellfire? Ya Allah, we cannot stand a moment in the sun. Ya Allah, how will we stand a moment in the hellfire? Ya Allah, Allahumma hajirna minan nar. Allahumma hajirna minan nar. Ya mujir hajirna. Ya mujir hajirna. Ya mujir hajirna. Ya Allah, who can save us, save us. Ya mu'tik a'tikna. Ya mu'tik a'tikna minan nar. Oh, he who can emancipate us from the hellfire. Ya Allah, deliver us from the hellfire. Ya Allah, let us be people who control our gaze from now on. Let us be people who lower our gaze. Ya Allah, everything that was said and heard in this itikaf, and anything about the deen that we have ever said or heard in our lives, Ya Allah, give both the one who said it and the ones who heard it the tawfiq to do amal. Ya Allah, make us people who practice our knowledge. Make us people of practice. Ya Allah, how long will we just be people of empty words? How long will we just emptily make dua to you? Ya Allah, when will that day come that we also become people of amal? Ya Allah, when will that day come that we also become people of taqwa? When will that day come that we also become people of khawf and khashiyah? Ya Allah, 
Allah, give us a heart that is afraid of you. Grant us the kalman khashi'an. Grant us the lisanan zakiran. Ya Allah, grant us a heart that fears you, a heart that remembers you, a tongue that remembers you, a tongue that praises you. Ya Allah, help us to remember you at all times. Let us stay in a wudu in all times. Let us make our sunnah du'as in all times. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the salah that we ever missed. Ya Allah, give us a tawfiq to make up our salah. Ya Allah, let us never miss any salah again. Ya Allah, we never want to miss any salah again. Ya Allah, let us pray every one of our salah on time. Let us pray every one of our fajr on time. Ya Allah, you have the power to rise us up in the morning. You have the power to rise us up in the last moments of the night. Ya Allah, we also want to be people who pray tahajjud. We want to be also amongst the mustaqfirina bil ashar. We also want to seek your forgiveness at the pre-dawn. Ya Allah, include our names amongst those ranks this night. Ya Allah, forgive us for all of our sins. Ya Allah, accept the fasting that we did this month. Accept our tilawih salah. Accept our tilawati kitab. Accept our dhikr in dua. Ya Allah, all, all the du'as that we ever made to you, Allah Ta'ala, accept them for us. All the du'as that we made this month, these last ten days, this night, Ya Allah, accept them in our haq. Ya Allah, all the du'as that the Prophet Sallam, the Sahaba Kiram, all of the tabi'in, 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 ayma mujtahideen, mufassireen, muhaddisin, fukaha, mashayikh, all the pious du'as that they ever made, Ya Allah, accept those du'as in our haq as well. Ya Allah, and all the things they sought refuge from, Ya Allah, keep us, do, uh, keep us far from those things as well. Ya Allah, save us from the fitna of these times. Ya Allah, save us from the fitna of these times. Ya Allah, this is the time that Rasulullah he himself sought refuge from. Ya Allah, and us, we're such weak, weak people. How will we attempt to pass the fitna of these times? Ya Allah, save us from the fitna of these times. Ya Allah, save our parents from the fitna. Save our children from the fitna. Ya Allah, save our families from this fitna. Ya Allah, those of us who have children, Ya Allah, make, us the, make them the coolness of our eyes. Ya Allah, we sacrifice your children to you. We pledge to invite our children to follow the Quran, Sunnah, and Syria in each and every way. Ya Allah, accept our children for your path. Ya Allah, make amongst them hufaz. Make amongst them ulama. Make amongst them awliya. And make them amongst them muttaqeen and sabirin. Ya Allah, and preserve the iman of our children in this society. And preserve the iman of all of our descending generations until the Yawm al-Din. Ya Allah, those of us who wish to have children... Ya Allah, give us this ni'mah. Ya Allah, shower this blessing and bounty upon us so that we, we too may raise somebody who may be better than us. We may raise somebody who doesn't make the mistakes that we did. Ya Allah, we can raise somebody who gets the knowledge that we failed to have. Ya Allah, give us that second chance at life. Ya Allah, give us the tawfiq and give us the barakah through your karam, through your rahmah. Ya Allah, shower this blessings and bounty upon us. Ya Allah, forgive all of us for all the sins that we did with our minds, for the sins that we did with our heart, for the sins that we did with our hands, for the sins that we did with our tongue. Forgive us for the sins that we did with our ear. Forgive us for the music that we listen to. Forgive us for the TV and the movies that we used to watch. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the scenes that we used to watch. Ya Allah, erase the memory of those scenes from our mind. Ya Allah, erase the images of those scenes from our mind. Ya Allah, Ya Rahimin. Ya Allah, you are so merciful. Ya Allah, we would look at those things. You would still let us come to the masjid. Ya Allah, we would do those things. You would still let us come to the masjid. Ya Allah, we would take our clothes off and sin. Ya Allah, you would put those clothes right back on us. Ya Rahimin. Ya Rahimin, take us out from the dhulamat to the nur. Take us out from the darkness of our sin into the nur of iman. Take us out from the darkness of our sin into the nur of taqwa. Ya Allah, have mercy upon us today. 
Ya Allah, you do not send your mercy upon us. There's no other place for us to go. Ya Allah, you have billions of creation who can worship you. Ya Allah, but we have only one Rabb who can answer our dua. You have billions of people who have worshipped you better than us. Ya Allah, but we have only one Rabb to turn to. Ya Allah, if you turn us away from your door, there's no other door for us to go to. Ya Allah, even the kind people on this earth. Ya Allah, they always give somebody who comes to their door. Ya Allah, you are Hamar Rahimin. You are the Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, out of your karam, let not our hands come down until you have accepted our dua, until you have forgiven each and every one of us for every one of our sins. Ya Allah, today the man with white hair making dua for you. Ya Allah, Prophet said that you take shame, you have haya in taking the life, the soul of a person whose hair is going white in the deen. Ya Allah, forgive them for any of the sins they may have done. Ya Allah, and out of the whiteness of their hair, Ya Allah Ta'ala, forgive all of us for all the sins that we do. Ya Allah, today there may be anyone, young men among us, who may be truly repenting for his sins. Ya Allah, in the barakah of his repentance, Allah, accept all of our tawbah. Ya Allah, save us from this sin. Ya Allah, how many Ramadans will go when we fail to save ourselves from this sin? How many salah will we pray? How much Quran will we read? How many talks will we hear? How many mashaykh will we meet? Ya Allah, still this sin doesn't leave us. Ya Allah, we are so deeply sick. Ya Allah, only your mercy can penetrate these hearts. Only the nur of your mercy can penetrate our hearts. Ya Allah, penetrate your light to the depths of our hearts and drive away all the darkness that is in our hearts. Ya Allah, forgive us for any other sins that we have made. Forgive us for the interests that we consume. Forgive us for the lies that we say. Forgive us for the bitterness in our heart. Forgive us for the envy that we have for one another. Forgive us for all the sins that we have ever done. Ya Allah, give us a tawfiq to lead a sin-free life. Ya Allah, any one of us who may be sick, grant us health. All those of us who are sick spiritually, grant us health. Ya Allah, grant us health. Ya Allah, we also want to be amongst the healthy ones. Ya Allah, grant us the shade of your throne on the day of judgment. On that day, there will be no other shade except your throne. Ya Allah, your beloved messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi said that when two people meet one another for the sake of Allah, and when they part one with one another for the sake of Allah, that you will grant them the shade of your throne. Ya Allah, we met one another in the sitikah for your sake. We part with one another in your name. Ya Allah, do barakah, take, take, do color of this nisbah that we have with one another. Take up, do color of the love that we have with one another. Ya Allah, and grant us your shade underneath your throne in the day of judgment. Ya Allah, shower your special Rahman Sakina upon this gathering. Ya Allah, make it a means of us drawing closer to you. Ya Allah, your beloved Messenger said that you said, in Atani Yamshi, that if my servant comes to me walking, that I come to him running. Ya Allah, all of us became at least walking here. Some of us came driving here. Ya Allah, come to us running. Come to us flying. Shower your Rahman, your mercy upon us. Draw us close to you in ways that we would have been unable to draw ourselves to. Ya Allah, shower us with mercy in ways that we don't even know how to make to offer. Ya Allah, we look to you and we have hope that you will be with us as befits your shan, as befits your majesty. Ya Allah, send your mercy upon us for all of our sins. Ya Allah, those of us who may be needy, grant them the risky halal tayyib, the purest, noblest forms of wealth. Ya Allah, we pray for our parents. Oh Ya Allah, send your mercy upon them. Those of them who are not guided, grant them the hidayah. Ya Allah, those of them who are astray, grant them the hidayah. Grant them the tawfiq to pass away on iman. Give them the tawfiq and the gift of Islam. Ya Allah, those of them who are guided, grant them istiqamah. Grant them perseverance on the straight path.
Ya Allah, we pray for this masjid, for all the masajid in the world. Ya Allah, we pray, we join ourselves with all the people who pray to in these nights. Ya Allah, we join ourselves with that community because you yourself said, Allah, tubu illallahi jami'ah, that we should make a tawbah to you as a jama'at. Ya Allah, we join ourselves as part of that jama'at and we ask of you to forgive all of the sins of all of our brothers and sisters, all of the ummah. Ya Allah, and send your special rahmah, send your special mercy on those members of our ummah who are being oppressed. Ya Allah, while we are spend our time sitting on the computer, Ya Allah, our Muslim brothers and sisters are being attacked, are being killed, are being tortured, are being raped. Ya Allah, we have no haya, we have no shame, these things go on, and we have no feeling in our hearts. We don't even make dua for them. We continue in our life of sin. Ya Allah, open up our eyes, open up our hearts to our reality. Let us have some insas. Let us have some love for our fellow members of our ummah. Ya Allah, we pray for all of our fellow brothers and sisters in all the different parts of the world where they are being oppressed, where war is being waged against them. Ya Allah, strengthen them against their enemies. Ya Allah, weaken the forces of the enemies who persecute the Muslims. Ya Allah, send disarray to their ranks. Ya Allah, destroy their weapons. Ya Allah, give them hidayah if it is for them. And if hidayah is not for them, Allah, then remove them from the face of this earth. Ya Allah, shower your mercy upon the mu'mineen and the mu'minat, wherever they may be, and the muslimin and the muslimat. Ya Allah, make us, make us common in our iman. Make us also people of taqwa, people of iman, people of sabr, people of tawbah. Ya Allah, accept our dua on this night. On this last night of mercy, Ya Allah, how many know? How many of us know we will live to see another month of Ramadan? Ya Allah, let this month of Ramadan be a final cure for us. Ya let us not go back into our ways of sin in the day of Eid. Let us not go back into our old ways once we leave this masjid. Ya Rahman Rahimin, put barakah in our time and put barakah in our lives. Ya Allah, save us from being embarrassed on the day of judgment. Save us from being embarrassed in front of the Sahaba Kiram on the day of judgment. Ya Allah, save us from being embarrassed in front of the Sahaba on the Day of Judgment. Ya Allah, no son wishes to be exposed in front of his fathers. No son wishes to be shamed in front of his forefathers. Ya Allah, if you must take our hisab, if you must punish us, if you must send us to hellfire, then don't do so in front of Rasulullah wasallam. No, don't take our hisab in front of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq. Don't show them what we used to do with the deen that they left behind. Don't show them what we used to do with the du'as they made for us. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, no son wishes to be made naked in front of his mothers. Ya Allah, do not show our sins to the Mahatul Mu'mineen. Do not let Sayyidina Khadija and Sayyidina Aisha see what we used to do. Do not show our sins in front of the Mahatul Mu'mineen. No son wishes to be exposed in front of his mothers, Ya Allah. No daughter wishes to be exposed in front of our mothers. Ya Allah, if you must punish the women for the sins that they did, Ya Allah, do not punish them in front of Sayyidina Khadija and Sayyidina Aisha. Ya Allah, hide. Ya Sitar, you are Sitar in this world. Ya Allah, be Sitar on that day of judgment. Ya Allah, hide our sins from the pious believers. Hide our sins from Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim. Hide our sins from Imam Munifa and Imam Shafi. Ya Allah, hide our sins from all our Mashaikh. Ya Allah, let us not be a bias in the Nama for our Mashaikh. Let us not soil this purified chain. Ya Allah, let us not our sins be a means for making anybody here mahroom. Ya Allah, put your own barakah in these words. Put your own ta'sir in these words. Ya Allah, include us in this barakah. Ramana takamal minna innaka anta samiyun alim.
وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد يا الله عن any any pious and جائز دعاءات any one of us may have please accept them from us anyone who may have rights over us that we should have made to offer them يا الله تعالى accept our du'a and their rights accept our du'a for our teachers for our colleagues for our students for our friends يا الله fulfill all of their desires and make them as well make them and us all as well amongst your beloved servants. Ya Allah, we want nothing more than your pleasure. Allahumma innas aluka rilaka. Allahumma innas aluka humbaka wa humba ma yuhibbuk. Ya Allah, we want nothing more than your pleasure in life. We want nothing more than to be beloved by you, to be beloved in the eyes of Rasulullah and to be beloved in the eyes of those who are your beloved. Ya Allah, we pray for this masjid and for this whole ummah. Ya Allah, we pray for all the people doing any type of work of the deen. We pray for all of the efforts of the deen going on over the world. Ya Allah, strengthen this deen. Strengthen the people who work for the deen. Rabbana taqabal minna innaka anta samir nadeem. Wattubu alayna innaka anta tawabur rahim. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين